Hello and welcome to Movies and Shit. Uh, this is technically episode three, Max, I believe. Is that? Yeah, episode three covering the first half of season two of Game of Thrones. Listen, and I want to say something. You know, I, in today's world, everything needs to be quickly delivered. Everything's got to be, you know, uh, packing a punch, you know, right. an hour and 20 minutes tops. I mean, we did four hours on one season of television, which yeah. is great for me. Uh, but, you know, I, I think yeah. we're, we're doing a fine balance of being like really kind of critical and, and going through sequential order of things, but also being funny and insightful. Yeah. So, and like trying to pepper in some like book knowledge in there, too, to like right. kind of enrich it as well, do a little compare contrast. So like, yeah, I think that we're like hitting a few levels of criticism here without getting too caught up in any one detail. Right. Uh, so with that, I mean, look, we, we could do If I said, hey, give me a 30 second where we left off in Game of Thrones, would you be able to do that season one? I would probably miss some stuff, but yeah, I think I'd be able to do it. 30 you... seconds on the clock. Max McCarty. Oh my God. <laughs> no, seriously, give the audience just a very, very quick recap of where we are. And not especially like from Ned Stark on, because we know that's the big inciting incident going on. So basically from the beheading, where is everybody so we can set this up? Okay, so Tyrion has just been appointed uh, acting Hand of the King in place of his father, who is off fighting the war against Robb Stark and leading the Lannister army against the Northern Rebellion. Um, The North has rebelled, by the way, because Ned Stark, the warden of the North, has been executed um, with impunity by Joffrey Lannister, or Joffrey Baratheon, uh, who is not the rightful heir to the throne, but is currently basically usurped it he has taken the throne for himself and has consolidated power with his mother cersei um jamie lannister is off on the front lines and uh does he get captured in season one yeah totally yes yeah, yeah he gets captured season one so he is currently a prisoner of the starks am i missing anybody huge or major here no i think you nailed most of it did we talk okay. about uh, like you know renly fucked off and we have this whole yeah thing. so so basically at the beginning of season two we're seeing the start of what is uh going to be known as the war of the five kings the fifth king will come into focus a little bit later in the season right but for now we have four major players uh that we're working with right we have um fucking joffrey Get it. we have renly who's getting Get it. after it. we got Rob Stark. Who's the fourth one? Stannis. Stannis Stannis Baratheon. Hey! Stannis, who we have not met um, in season one at all. Right. Uh, He's been talked about as basically being like this uh, charisma void. Right. Um, but yeah, he, he believes, which I sort of, I sort of disagree with, by the way, and we'll get to there when we get to Mm. it, because uh, I think that's, that's a pretty good setup for, for, you know, getting into season two. I was going to say quickly before we actually get into season two, one of the reasons that I love it so much beyond it, just being a very patient and methodical, you know, fucking story that it's telling. Mm -hmm. Oh man, someone's dying outside. The white walkers are fucking going anyway. Um, all right, so what I was saying is that the reason that I think is so exciting is because the introduction of so many fan favorites. Like we were saying last time in season one, it's a little, it's a, it's an interesting watch because like seventy percent of those people are gone. Like yeah. it's really hard to to think about what we've been watching recently in the last couple seasons and what it was then. This season starts to give you a lot of those characters, a lot of those locations, yes. uh, and I think that's what makes it so exciting. So with that, do you mind if we begin, Max? Of course, let's go for it. Opening scene of season two starts off with a, with a battle of sorts, but you don't really know. It's a one-on-one combat, and what you find out very quickly is that uh, on Joffrey's name day, right? Mm-hmm. This is what's going on. 
He is forcing people to fight. He's got the hound just fighting people because he can, kicking their asses, all that fucking jazz. And this brings us to it like, again, why I think this is like so well plotted. Okay, mm-hmm. is we get the introduction of the king's fool, right? The yeah. who shows up. He's the way he just shows up late. Is that basically what happens? Yeah. And that's enough uh, to draw the ire. <laughs> I, I do, and this is not an important detail, but I do want to call attention to one thing that really made me laugh. This go around is right. when the hound kills his opponent. He like gets tossed off of a ledge, blood flowing everywhere, and immediately this little like boy is like ready to scrub the blood, and they like <laughs> drag his armor away, and there's just more blood gushing out. It's like routine. Like this has right. been happening all fucking day. And Joffrey's just funny to you somehow. (laughs) I don't know why. It was just really funny. Um, But anyways, yeah. So we get the introduction of the King's Fool in this scene. I don't know if you want to get into that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important, important homie. Yeah. in as much that it's important for later seasons. Now, we made a rule not to dwell too much on things that will happen later, so we won't do that now. But right. let's say that the King's Fool is very important, and more specifically to that, Sansa kind of going to bat for him, right? Being like, mm-hmm. hey, you can't. It's bad luck to kill someone on your name's day. And I right. like that the Hound has her back there. Yeah. Like, like, he's right. <laughs> it's yeah. What you do on your name day is what you reap for the rest of the year. <laughs> I was just like, shit, all right. Like, when did this fucking dreamboat become so talkative? That was my question. <laughs> dreamboat. Yeah, no, and this is like a, kind of the first indication that Sansa is very slowly learning the art of manipulation and right. kind of, you know, trial by fire in King's Landing is starting to uh, have an effect on her. Right. And it's definitely setting up who she becomes later on. But well, this is kind of the first hint we get to that, like where she's not just a helpless little girl. Like she's kind of starting to influence things or find a way to survive there. Let's put, let's put a mental note to kind of, while we do this review, uh, in, like, you know, uh, acknowledge when there's some other examples of that. Because I feel like Sansa more than anyone, like she's been learning how to, she's been learning how to play the game the whole fucking series. And at times she seems like, oh, she's gotten there. And other times it's a, it's a step backwards and shit. Sure. So I'm curious just to see how much she learns. Obviously, like you said, this is her like, okay, I got to appeal yeah. to this fucker somehow. So she is learning to play it, but she's not right. quite a master. If I, if I can briefly say it, because like reading her chapters in the books, it was always like, ah, uh, this again. But it, it's such a balancing act with that character. Because on the one hand, she is a victim. She is, you know, someone who's been held prisoner since childhood. She's watched horrible things happen to her family. Um, she's more the victim of psychological and emotional abuse, whereas the other Stark kids are victims of physical or, you know, magical abuse. Um, but I think that it's a difficult balancing act that makes her character more interesting on rewatch for me is just seeing how, while she's processing that abuse, she's learning how to play this game. Right. And it's Again, kinda, we it's have to just great. remember she's so fucking young. I think that's yeah. the thing we always forget about, man. Yeah. It, it's, it's a rough thing, but when you remind yourself that it's much uh, more easily, you know, oh, yeah, uh, digestible, sure. I guess. Handling um, that shit better than I would have at 12. Right, Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> like, right, do you ever think about that? Like, just how much, like, the bitches that we were at, at that age? Like, we wouldn't be able <laughs> right. to handle this shit at all. <laughs> just, I fell off my bike. I was done for the day. You just you you took your bike and literally went home. You're like never yeah. again, never yeah. again, never again. Uh, but another important thing here, when mm. the middle of this whole name day thing, Tyrion fucking shows up in King's Landing, first time since he's been appointed the king, and immediately yes. is just busting balls. Okay. Yes, dude. Can we just talk about this very quickly before we get into the specifics of the scene? This is the season of Tyrion. Like, yeah, this is peak level Tyrion. He is never more powerful or wonderful than this. And, 
that's kind of sad, isn't it? <laughs> because it's like we have yeah. five, six more years after this. Right. And, and you're just like, ah, this little guy is going to win everything. But look, he makes the fucking most out of it as we will, you know, get into. Right. Um, but I love it. He starts and he's breaking balls immediately. Basically calls Joffrey a coward on Front Street and uh, then delivers the news that he can do whatever the fuck he wants because I'm hand, motherfucker. And, right. he, and he's a wrecking ball the whole time. The next scene, he's in the small council, which has some expositional world-building stuff I want to get to. But I just love the initial, like, he walks in and everyone's like, fuck you. Like, right. Cersei doesn't want to have anything to do but with Cersei's it. Cersei's running the small council at this right. point. She thinks she's got King's Landing on lock until her father gets back, has no idea that this is going down, and flips her fucking shit. Right. She finds out that Tyrion, and you really, this is kind of the first instance where we really understand the dynamic between her and Tyrion too, because they really haven't been in scenes together up until now. And they do a, a really great job throughout the whole season. Almost every oh, scene yeah. that they have by themselves is this wonderful kind of like, I get this a lot oh. more. Yeah, so there's I think one in really the back half that I really want to get into like in a later episode, but yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. No, man, as of course we'll get to it. Um, quick world building stuff in that small council meeting, and it, it may seem inconsequential, but I think it's important to things that happen in later episodes, specifically episode five, um, is the, the idea that the royal people don't give a fuck about the peasants. They don't care about the commoner people. And there's even right. a point where I believe um, Cersei straight up just like, you lock fucking peasants out. Let them starve, all right? Because right? they're talking about the long winter and how much wheat they have and, you know, push come to shove. They're just going to keep all the poor people, let them starve because we got to stay fat and hungry, you know? Right. Um, and I think it's important just because it's already showing that, like, yo, they don't really give a shit about their followers. But unlike in some other, you know, kingdoms and shit where the people still love the king, they love the, the crown, this is clearly not the case. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, yes. Something I really loved about this episode in general, though, was the uh, introduction, not of the mytho- not only the mythology, but the differences in mythology. So this is the first uh, appearance of the Red Messenger, the, the, you know, the Red Comet right. or whatever, yes, which yes, yes. depending on where you are in King's Landing, it's called Joffrey's Comet, right? If you're, mm-hmm. if you're over here, it's called the Red Messenger. If you're over here, it's just called the Red Comet. So it's very interesting that everyone has a different name for this, and they all have their own origin stories for what it means, right? Right. Uh, do you want to go into the mythology a little bit about what is that? The, I can never pronounce it. The Azorahai, is that what it is? Because that's one of the, 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 the signs of, of the impending. Oh, right, right. Uh, Azorahai, I think, is how you say it. Um, and I'm a little bit rusty, uh, but it's basically the, I don't know if you want to call it the king that was promised, but it's right. for this particular set of beliefs because there are several different religions in Game of Thrones. Um, this is basically this king that is going to rise up and save everybody. And there's a lot of speculation about who that's going to be. And right. we get an introduction to uh, one man who is presumed to be Azor Ahai, right. the rival of this king that was promised who's there to save us all. Right. Um, yeah. To, to not get too, too into that, but yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, and we will, and we'll get into that introduction here, but I just wanted to bring the comment up as, as like this, this, this mark that is connecting everyone. Cause you see it in fucking right. Vostothrak. You see it in Winterfell as we cut back to Bran as Bran's kind of learning yeah, how to be a Lord. connects the whole world together up to yeah, a point. Absolutely. Which I love. Way. And you even see yeah. it beyond the wall at some point, which is really great. Um, right. Um, but basically just to be taken as this is an indication that big changes are coming. That. Unless you listen to uh, what's her name, Osha, right? The wildling mm-hmm. who's now in Winterfell, and she says all it signifies is when dragons return to the earth. Which we, the audience, we know that dragons have returned to the earth. But yeah. and it's just the idea that everyone has their own mythology. I kind of love it. It's this unifying thing, even if uh, people have their own interpretation of it. Thought right. that was really great. 
Um, beyond the wall, which is really interesting, as we know at the end of season one, John is now beyond the wall. He's, he's because of this impending threat of, of someone unifying the, mm-hmm. the wildlings, right? Um, so along the way, I guess the crows have this agreement with this one guy a little bit further in named Craster, right? Craster. Yeah. He's Craster's a real lovely a guy. Fuck. He's oh. creepy, man. I don't know, you call him lovely? Okay, <laughs> explain. I, I want you to own that comment. Oh, God damn it. You know, I, I'm not going to. No, this is a, he's just one of the bit, I can't even call him one of the biggest pieces of shit because there is some seriously fierce competition in this series and in the show even. Right. Um, but no, he's, he's a righteous asshole. He, he has this kind of small compound uh, north of the wall that uh, he allows rangers to stay at. And he's pretty much, as uh, Lord Commander Mormont says, the difference between life and death for our rangers. So this is a guy that they basically put up with um, because they have to. He has food that he'll share and, you know, they can sleep in the barn and stay warm for the night. Uh, But the problem is this guy is also uh, raping his own daughters and impregnating them and having more daughters that he then continues to rape. So super fun guy. Yeah. He's having a great time. A barrel of laughs, this guy is. Yeah. Uh, um, and also there is a question of, well, what does he do with the sons? And we will get into that. Absolutely. Later. Um, a couple things happen here that I really want to kind of shed some light on. One, intro to Gilly, right? Who ends mm-hmm. up, again, these are characters who are still fucking around in our current version of Game of Thrones. So it's a little right. bit exciting to see these people. First mention of Mance Radar in earnest. In, in a reel where you understand his backstory. Oh, he was a crow. Like, mm-hmm. he betrayed yeah. this, this, this he vow. He broke that he his vows. And right. now he's unifying the wildlings, all these fiercely different uh, warring tribes all together. Right. And the rumor is he's amassing this gigantic army to march on the wall. Again, and I don't want to go too far in the future, but he's a character that I love. I mean, I love Mance Radar. And I think most people kind of understand where he's coming from. He's like one of the few honorable people left in this fucking honorless world. And it's... You know, it's even a, though he's a wildling, it's it's almost not even about honor with him. It's just about like this is practical. He he wants to live, and he wants as right. many of his people to live as possible too. Not even his people, but just human beings. Because what this season starts to introduce as an idea um, is the idea that these wildlings are no better or worse than the people south of the wall. They just happen to have been north of the wall right. when that wall was put up, and now they're stuck in this icy tundra filled with these dangerous creatures um ranging from the mystical to the non yeah beasties yeah. man beasties fucking everywhere Tons of beasties up in the north Jeez. well that makes them very like uniquely qualified because you know they're fucking around with those beasties more than any southern motherfucker is you know mm-hmm. um but yeah so i wanted to talk about that also wanted to quickly say something and there's a really impressive scene where john john doesn't defy anyone necessarily but just by being inquisitive he kind of gets himself into trouble there's this wonderful scene with uh with uh, Commander Mormont, right? Who's mm-hmm. like, "Who are you? Who? What's your name?" Like Jon Snow, yeah. right? He's like, yeah. what, "What are you? I'm your steward. Great. Your steward. Do you want to fucking learn? Do you want to lead one day? Then you need to learn how to fucking follow." And it's this <laughs> beautiful, you know, obviously done more Shakespearean than I just did it, 
but it's yeah. a really great scene. And again, it's like Jon Snow is trying to learn all these things beyond being guided by this like ridiculous moral compass. He has to learn how to play that game a little bit better because yeah. that's what it is. It's a combination of your ethics, but also knowing how to read a fucking room, John. And he has not kind of he's not got there yet. You know, it's it's shortcoming right. so far. Well, I, I feel like Jon Snow is the show's answer to Ned Stark up to a point. He's the example of how you can be honorable but be a hell of a lot smarter and a right. hell of a lot more survivable. And we're seeing him learn those lessons very early on in his story. And he definitely learns way more throughout this season and the next. Right. Um, I don't know if there's anything particular in this episode you want to get into outside of the uh, Craster thing. Um, well, no, I mean, I just wanted to kind of bring that up briefly. No, it's okay. Yeah. Let's, let's move right along because now we have the intro of, of, you know, according to one character, right? So this, this scene is actually the introduction to a couple characters that will go down in long form version of this show. So we get the fire priestess, Melisandre, right? She's chilling. She's giving mm-hmm. some fucking sermon. She's talking about this fucking, you know, this, the, the, you know, the Azorzai, the king that was promised and shit yeah. like that. And it's all in service of uh, introducing someone we've heard about a bunch of times but have not seen up until this point, Stannis motherfucking Baratheon, okay? Yeah. Kind of a good intro, bro. I ain't going to lie. I mean, you you see, again, everyone's saying he's a charisma vacuum, but I don't necessarily see that. Like, for me, he's hilarious, number one. Also, he's like like (laughs) Westeros' grammar police, okay? Because I think there's like three or four times in this show where someone's just like, we're going to have less problems. And he's like, fewer. Like, he's always correcting people's grammar. I really love that. (laughs) Uh, But this whole scene is really good. And you see him, like, say what you want about him, charisma or no charisma. Not a uh, not a man to be trifled with, like a serious no, man for sure. He does not waver, is the thing about Stannis Baratheon. And he has gone all in as we start to realize, uh, even in this introduction, and I think it's a great introduction, he's gone all in on this red priestess who is preaching a foreign religion right. um, that is basically saying that he is the chosen one. Right. And like the amount of terrible... Uh, implications that go along with that religion like right off the bat burning non-believers um doing things that are less than savory at the very least stannis is never one to uh go back on his word right uh so, well, so he's, like, what he's set out on a course he's gonna yeah, stick to that course pretty much whatever horrible shit he might do like he's he's not on the same moral wavelength as uh, some of the more terrible characters right. later on especially also, yeah. uh, another fan favorite, if not honestly my favorite, Sir Davos, man. Fucking yeah. Sir Davos. What a prince. Like, why can't this fucker take the throne when it's all over, man? What a prince. And also just fucking what a great, another wonderful casting choice. That right. actor, what is that actor's name? I have no clue, but he deserves he, every fucking penny of that budget, bro. <laughs> he owns that role. Like, from the moment he speaks, you kind of understand who this guy is. Yeah, He's man. completely upfront about, you know, just... It's not that he's shameless. He he has. I think he has no, plenty of shame. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I, yeah. He has no ego. He he's he's there to serve. Uh, he knows who he is. He's reckoned with who he is, and he's completely honest in everything right. he does. Yeah. He's he honestly, dude, one of the best in a show full of literally 10, 15, 20 brilliant strokes of geniuses in terms of casting. This one might be my favorite just because you've never loved someone instantly like you have loved Sir Davos. You get yeah. his moral compass like, yeah, he stole some shit. He ain't a bad guy. There's a difference. You know what I mean? Right. Um, exactly. And he's bound by, again, some honor that is is fucking missing. Yeah. And 
And a little bit of backstory here. He was caught stealing, right? Um, yeah. By Stannis uh, or on Dragonstone because he used he, to be a smuggler. And he gave him the king's justice, and, as they say. Yeah, he gave him the king's justice, uh, took off a few of his fingers at the knuckles, and he wears them around his neck as right. a reminder. And now is the king's most trusted advisor, um, or one of them at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, so, I just love that guy and so glad that we get him. So again, in one episode, we've had, what, three, four character introductions yeah. to characters who will stick around for some time. And again, I think this is why people really started to fall in love with this because you had watched a whole season of shows, you had gotten acquainted with all the auxiliary players, and then they're like, hey, by the way, why are season two, man? Here's dock workers for you, okay? <laughs> like They just yeah. they expanded the scope so big and so boldly, and they didn't hold your fucking hand. They said, yo, you just you fall into this. They trusted yeah. its audience. And I would say that a huge step up for me in season two um, is just on a visual level, and you see it from this very first episode, um, just how they're able to, just through color grading and lighting, establish where you are without telling you where you are. Yeah, absolutely. It's just man. so wonderful. Like the, you mentioned the golden hour of King's Landing. Like they mm-hmm. really start to like lean into that in a really beautiful way. Um, like how the sun is just always about to set and it's yeah. harsh contrast. Over Meanwhile, Winterfell is fucking cold, gray, yeah. muted. It's, like uh, they instantly set up yeah. these visual atmospheres for you to identify. Even in the north, um, it's always overcast. And like even in the green parts of the north, it's always overcast. Every scene with Rob Stark, like you know kind of where he is. Um and then on Dragonstone, it's always this sort of like burst of uh, clouds and fire and smoke and rain. And it's right. just such a great textured visual thing. Because I, I think this uh, show does not get enough credit for its visual language. Right. I definitely want to get into that. Um, and it really starts to show in this season. Absolutely, man. Um, let's jump to the fronts, okay? Because as you know, we're waging a war up in the north, all right? Yeah. And uh, I love this scene because we start and we have Jamie, who again is a prisoner of war. Rob Stark's kind of hanging out. And Jamie, Jamie tries to step to his captor. He tries to, to talk some shit. And he is not very good at shit talking. Not when he's tied up in a wooden cage. And also, I got a dire wolf, okay? Right. So I remember he just he keeps like, you know, I think he tries to infantilize him. I think he calls him boy at one point. And Rob Stark's like, motherfucker, you're getting beat by a boy. Your father's getting beat by a boy. You, right. You're in a cage by a boy. Like, what the fuck yeah. are you talking about? Love it. Instantaneously. Just such a badass. Um, right. And also just the fact that Rob Stark can verbally spar with Jamie Lannister. Um, right. Just like, people makes can. you like... Because yeah. like Rob Stark up to this point has not really been established that much. We get a little bit near the end of season one where it's like... You know, he's rising up uh, about his father and everything, but we don't really know him yet. So to kind of get this scene is like a really good introduction to like, this guy's a threat. He's worth being taken seriously. He might be young, but like he's winning battles. Right. He's and, a fucking tactician. And to add to that, and I know it's in a later episode, we'll go more into that. But what I love about it is like, man, these people can not like each other because of family names or stigils and shit like that. But when game needs to recognize game, doesn't matter what the the the, the fucking you know the bannermen right. are, because I think Tywin's even like motherfucker, he's good. <laughs> like we're fucking yeah. up, we're getting beat yeah. by a kid. So yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. But I, I really like that scene. Um, and so what what kind of happens is I believe Cersei sends is it Lancel right? Like she sends mm-hmm. Lancel to. Uh, <laughs> to fucking be like the negotiator of sorts and you know that's hilarious for its own reasons but the the, the main gist of it is that rob makes demands he's like listen this is what i want one well, my fucking sisters number yep. one 
And also, uh, I, we no longer serve the kingdom. All right. Like we're not, we don't swear fealty. Like we are an independent North and shall right. not be ruled by the Southerners anymore. Uh, knowing full well, that's not going to necessarily happen. Right. Like this right. is not, this is a, you're giving your first uh, offer knowing, expecting it to be denied. Right. Yeah. But he's, he's already won three battles. He continues like big battles. He continues to win. Um, he's rallied pretty much the entire North by his side. And the North is fucking big. That's much massive. bigger. Yeah. I think we've said yeah. it before. It's like, imagine if the entire United States is ruled by Florida or something like yeah. it's, it's definitely a really small portion to, uh, compared to the amount of landmass there is. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, so yeah, no, really liking the characterization of Rob and also that performance, uh, really good and, uh, underrated. What's that Absolutely. guy's name? I always forget that guy's uh, name. Richard Madden. Richard Madden. Yeah, man. Next Let's Bond, hopefully, if there's any hey. God. <laughs> You're the bodyguards, great. Uh, bodyguards, real good, yeah. Um, all right, cool. So let's jump over to King's Landing very quickly. There's a couple things. Very minor thing, but it's important in terms of setting up later payoffs. Uh, Shay has been brought to King's Landing, too, at Tyrion's behest, but this is kind of needs to be a secret. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell too many people about it. Um, right. We get some more scenes with that, but I think it's just, it's, it's a good start and mm-hmm. no one is fooled by this. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Immediately, a, no one. A, well, there's a scene with Varys coming up and we'll get to it when we get to it, but it's honestly one of my favorite scenes of the whole thing. The other King's Landing thing I want to talk about is there is a wonderful scene between Littlefinger and Cersei where they're just, by the way, as a fucking Martin, as a, as a person who's writing dialogue, like, I wrote, a, I wrote a Western, and the, the problem when you write anything in a period piece is you run the risk of everyone sounding the same when yeah. they talk, okay? Or sounding just very stilted, yeah. Very stilted. Uh, like, every, not everyone can have a pithy one-liner, like, subterfuge, their subtext to what I'm saying. Everyone does in this show, and everyone's amazing. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the only thing I know about no, it. It's, it's that whole scene with Cersei and Littlefinger going back and forth where he's just like, oh, yeah, it's, you know... It's really terrible if people knew that you were fucking that people hear all these rumors but you fucking your brother he doesn't say that but he does right <laughs> and i just love it i just love that he's like uh you know knowledge is power and then immediately cersei's like she just gets her hound dogs to do like all the tricks that she's taught them like you know yeah. roll over do a backflip do that shit paul right does that with these fucking giants she says knights. what like power is power right yeah power yeah. is power and i'm just like listen man again game recognizing game i think you have to realize how badass that is you know what i mean right. no for um, real it's it's fantastic and also just great seeing Littlefinger scared. Right, uh, he's never bested generally. Because not a lot of people, yeah. like, I feel like Varys is on his intellectual level, but a lot of other people, like, he's, he's playing chess. He's five moves ahead, usually. Right. And, this and he's is, always got uh, information on everybody else. Cersei right. doesn't need information on him. She can just fucking kill him at any right. moment. And <laughs> <laughs> she makes that very, very clear. Power um, is power. I, we should mention for sure uh, that Rob uh, also sends Theon uh, to try to win the support of his father. Bring it up right now because I wanted to talk about how Catelyn thought it was a bad idea. Um, yeah. Theon proposes Balon because Balon and the Iron Islands, they have the ships, man. You need the numbers. Yeah. And so uh, he, he suggests that, but you know, relations aren't necessarily good. For one, like they got a bad past. Right. Theon is the ward of the Starks and he was essentially and has not seen his father since he was a small child. Yeah, absolutely. So even though he pitches it, Catelyn's like, uh, nope. <laughs> but yeah. practicality right you have to make friends with some of your enemies when you're in some wartime shit and this is right. kind of the beginning of that maybe a fatal flaw as we see going forward but it's interesting that at least in that moment i don't think there's anything but altruism with theon yeah. in that moment 
yeah, no, it's it's definitely like done with the good intentions. They're taking a gamble that um, that Balon's love of his son Theon uh, will win him over to the side of the North, um, because Rob Stark is thinking, well, like yeah, we've had our problems in the past, but this is a fight for a free and independent North, and the Greyjoys right. are all about freedom, as we find out later. Well, uh, we'll see if that, well, that holds true. But but yeah, so the, at least the, the mindset, you can understand Rob's thinking here. And that's the thing. In season yeah. two, most of the time I'm understanding his mindset up until about the midway point, And then shit starts to fall apart a little bit. Yeah. I mean, but, I understand his mindset, but it's bad. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have to agree with well, it. I can understand <laughs> it. Back in King's Landing very quickly, there's a scene I really love, which is Joffrey. They're in the throne room. Uh, and Joffrey gets sassy a little bit. And it's just like, uh, basically one, she's like, I, I know the rumors, number one, but then two, I think he talks shit about how like King Baratheon was just fucking everybody, whores yeah, all yeah. the time. Uh, Cersei didn't like that. Smacks the shit out of Joffrey, which again is becoming mm. my favorite part of this show. Anytime a Lannister has to slap Joffrey, I don't know if it <laughs> happens again. I don't know if Jamie comes back. I think and, like, that back might be the last time, yeah. God damn it. That needed to happen once a season. Like, you know, just like like once per. Yeah, like yeah. the Halloween episode of The Office or something. Like something to look forward to, but yeah. it didn't happen. Um, it's like I, the I got a bad feeling about this of Star Wars. Like, right. It's always got to happen once. Ugh, that's all we needed. And it just yeah. didn't happen. But in this scene, it does happen. And again, I like it because all like everyone stops. The room stops. So like, oh, shit. Right. And mm. it's surprisingly restrained for Joffrey. I know he obviously like kind of fears his mom. So I think that's what's up. But in that moment, right. he's like, if you ever do that again, like, yeah. I can kill you, <laughs> which is uh, not an idle threat. I don't think as we know, this guy's fucking crazy. And this this whole season kind of further punctuates what a fucking sadist he is and it's so creepy yeah well because in season one he's just like this little bitch um who seems like he goes a little power mad and is resentful this season very clearly uh shows us that joffrey is um deeply deeply fucked up right uh yeah well but also think about this in that scene he he knows he's given definitive clarification by his mom that they were bastards right that's what led Mm -hmm. to the fucking slap to begin with is he was off fucking everybody how many bastards are out there right right this leads us to the ending of the fucking episode which was bro like you know we've seen a lot of shit in the show already but this was like a big moment where i'm like oh so literally no one is safe in this show is what you're telling me um, right. because now the word's been has been put out like find all of King Robert's bastards and kill them like give mm-hmm. no one a fucking even a, like a shadow of a doubt to a claim on that throne only Joffrey can have the cl- a throne and this leads us to a fucking a Littlefinger's whorehouse which by the way Classius whorehouse okay oh, yeah. it's like the Trump Tower of fucking whorehouses in Westeros the right. Classius whorehouse very Classius thing yeah but uh, fucking what Sir Marin Trent literally kills a baby man stabs a baby in the fucking neck and he's just all too happy to do it again well again yeah that's the fucking problem with this guy and again wonderful actor he uh, it's going to be such a, be a, such a fucking weird comparison, but Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter, <laughs> the fifth one, that woman is just, God bless her, because for a minute, I forgot about Voldemort, man. I was just like, listen, yeah. that guy's fine. We got to stop the real fucking yeah. threat, which is Dolores Umbridge. And Sir Marin <laughs> Trent, she does actor, it all with a smile. Yeah, I know. Well, see, that's the thing. He doesn't smile about it, but he takes a little bit too much enjoyment out of it, which makes him especially yeah, evil. So yeah. what a great fucking casting choice there as well. But the episode literally ends with this montage of 
just killing every, whether we know they're actually bastards or not by the way there's no proof there's no maury dna test okay like yeah. they just start killing everyone just in case like, yeah oh that kid's got black hair blue eyes kill him jesus christ man like they did not <laughs> fuck around in that first episode oh jesus yeah they they really don't um really sets the stage for right. a tumultuous season so Which, uh so yeah man listen let's jump to episode two entitled the nightlands the episode begins max with uh aria who is now got out of king's landing all right her gendry hot pie they're all just having a fucking yeah. queer disguised, old time okay guys does a boy um traveling along the king's road going back up north. which we'll get to that but no one is fooled except hot pie because he's an idiot and i guess a couple people but like anyone who I matters mean, his name is hot pie like what do we expect <laughs> what do you expect yeah like he's too busy yeah. thinking about culinary fucking you know creations not fucking oh, i made a cookie that looks like a wolf again uh He's like a kindergartner who drew something and wants you to put it on the fucking fridge. Like, hot pie is adorable, but uh, no one fucking falls for that. Jockin doesn't fall for it. Gendry doesn't fall for it. No one fucking falls a- for it. Anybody with a brain doesn't fall for it. Yeah. Uh, but this is, again, intro to characters that you will love forever. Jockin Hagar, man, right? Our fucking, yeah. our boy. Our, our, yeah. <sighs> this man, is another so cool. actor owns that role. Immediately mysterious, strange, talks right. in the third person. Uh, and he, but not like, he's like the rock of Westeros, bro. He like, he continually does the third person shit. And you're like, he's earned that. Okay. I'm not yeah. going to tell him he can't do that. <laughs> so I love him. Uh, following the events of episode one, as we know, all the bastards being killed, fucking Gendry, they know, like they, they, you see them torturing the old Smith, uh, cause mm. he was the apprentice of the Smith and he knows that he got out of town. So the King's guard is like, or the King's men are looking for him. You know, they, right. they, they stopped the whole group where Yorin is, is kind of sneaking everyone up, I guess, to the wall is their destination, unless I'm wrong. Um, yep. Yeah, but, they're, so they're all, because uh, that's, again, that's how the Night's Watch gets uh, recruits. Is right. he, uh, this guy, Yorin, will go to the dungeons in uh, King's Landing and grab all the swarthy piece of shit criminals he can. Right. Um, well, I mean, but the thing is, there's some good. Well, like, what did Hot Pie do to get there? That's my question. If we're, I want to know what's going back to the Hot Pie of it all. But let's leave. <laughs> let's leave that mystery. Let it, let's let that be for now, okay? Because this is really like whatever answer the show gave us would never be as great as, as in our minds, right? <laughs> um, okay, but so so the Kingsmen try to try to kind of get them, and and Yorin's like, uh, fuck that. You can try, motherfucker, but like, I'm not gonna let right. you take anybody. They're like, all right, that's fine. We'll come back with a bunch more people you know and they're not lying about that so they bought themselves a temporary reprieve from a situation that is obviously not fucking good right. um and uh, i think that's a really good you know establishing scene again we get jock and agar we get the kind of dynamics of how everything's playing out right and, and just ju- just oh. to clarify like the yeah. breach of social contract here i don't know if you want to call it social contract but um this is an army uh, threatening and threatening to attack uh, Night's Watch recruits and a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. Like these people are separate from the laws of the king. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah. idea of them interfering with that is like just showing you the quick level of moral degradation that's happening under Joffrey's rule. Right. See, that is a really good point to bring up because I, I the, the Night's Watch, even though they're kind of joked about as this like punishment or only bad people go there, they are right. completely removed yeah. from the governments of Westeros, which is a yeah. very important No matter thing. what you've done, if you're going to the Night's Watch, you're good. That's yeah. that's your new home. 
Yeah. So that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. So yeah, they're already trying to break these fucking sacred things that have been put in place for generations for many seasons. And it just shows you kind of, again, how they don't give a fuck about the institutions that they so badly want to have, you know, Uh, from there, we cut back to King's Landing. This is one of my favorite fucking scenes, man. Uh, Tyrion walks in and Varys is keeping company with Shay and like they're having a fucking cool old time everyone's chatty and again the subtext of every line it's just like everyone has to have this like I'm being really cheerful but I really am talking about your fucking impending doom if you don't do what I want you to do right um, and so this kind of leads to a scene where they need to excuse themselves to go to a small council meeting and Tyrion kind of blocks the door and he's just like I am not Ned Stark alright like I know how to play this game right. uh, and I think it's a great moment because I've told you one of my favorite relationships in the entire you know this show is is very good at pairing people off and kind of giving them some exposition amongst themselves, usually polar opposites. And they find some universal truth within themselves. This ends up being probably my favorite. This is the Hound and Arya and then Tyrion and Varys. Their fucking relationship's amazing. And I think this is the birth of that where Varys really starts to see Tyrion, not as some entitled pompous Lannister like all the other ones, okay? Right. But as someone who has fought for it. Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's a, he's a player in the game, and not just that, he's not on the same moral uh, level as the other Lannisters in right. the capital. Like, this is a guy that maybe has more going on, as Varys, like, very quickly realizes. Yeah. Which is um, Yeah, no, I mean, I think, again, we've said this many times, and this season is a great example of this, but mm. for as amazing as the spectacle, and yeah, they know how to shoot some action scenes, okay? Like, they do. I'm not saying they don't. But this show always exceeds whenever it's just people sitting in a room fucking talking to each other. There's yeah. nothing better. This show is never operating on a higher level than when they just have people fucking going back and right. forth and feeding off each other. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes to what we're saying about casting. It's just like, these are generous actors on top of that. They're giving sure. the person like off screen everything they need to deliver these fucking lines the way they need yeah. to. And that's the wonderful thing about the pairing of Dinklage and I think his name's Conleth Hill, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Barris. Yeah, um, because Conleth Hill, like by all accounts, is fucking hilarious off camera. And he can play comedy in a very dry way. And he can play drama in a way that like chills you to your core with just right. like, a line reading. And the fact that Dinklage can do that too, it just makes them like perfect sparring partners. Because these guys have like equal amount of acting range, I think. Right. Putting them in the same room is like always... So I, I I say this all the time, and it's not it's not in jest. I just really wish we could have got a spinoff with like Littlefinger, Varys, and fucking Tyrion. Just you know, going to Dorne for for a summer. Like, fuck me, that would be amazing. Getting wasted. <laughs> but crazy. alas, we have wars to fight. Uh, there's many right. kingdoms to fucking fight like, over. So fucking Littlefinger um, be the designated driver. <laughs> just like very pissed he, off. He's had enough of the this whole shit. time. <laughs> Oh, uh, man. He's a self-made man and he's got to drive these drunk fucking right. assholes everywhere <laughs> he's trying to like keep a record of all the receipts it's impossible <laughs> there's no printers these fuckers are bleeding money okay <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh the small council meeting very small detail but it's worthy worthy of noting which is lord mormont has written to winterfell being like we need backup people like we need yeah. fuckers at the wall no one the wall is deeply that. understaffed Um, even from the first season like it's not something we really make clear but it is a shadow of what it used to be absolutely because people don't see the need for it um let's jump very quickly beyond the wall and then i want to jump back to a different continent which i when we get there i'll get to there i want to bring something up but very quickly a little detail back at craster's keep we find out that gilly introduced last episode we love her is pregnant and this kind of brings up the first mention of like 
what, what, really what's going on with these kids? I mean, John said it in a line in that first episode, but like, there's only girls. What are happening to right. the boys? This is a central mystery. We're going to have to get to it at some point, um, but they're still just kind of hinting around it for now. Uh, let's jump very quickly to the red waste, which one, yeah. I just love that world building, the red waste. It's, yeah. I get it. I understand it's it. It's great. Um, which I, did we kind of skip over that for the first episode? Because we see a little bit of Daenerys' story in the red waste in the first episode, right? Do we? I Because I, I wrote it scene by scene. I don't remember her because I thought this was the whole point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. Because what she does is she sends her writers off into different directions. Right. So to, basically, yeah, because yeah. it's her in this kind of uh, shadow Kalisar, um, like the remnants of the Kalisar, the people that stayed behind and right. the miracle of her dragons, um, all kind of starving and dying of thirst in the desert. And she sends her writers off in different directions to find help. Absolutely. And that's pretty um, much all we saw in the first And episode. this brings us to episode two, which is there's no SPF in the fucking red waste, man. Everyone's mm-hmm. just like chilling, fucking like it's hot, you know? I have a sick tan after that. Well, and that's my thing. I'm sitting here being like, you know, Jorah, whatever. He could probably tan well, but this yeah. woman is albino. Like she cannot be out in the fucking sun. Yeah. Let's be real about this. She and- should look like a craggy piece of leather at this point. <laughs> but I guess she doesn't burn. That's because, true. The sun you know, would have nothing on her. That's actually okay. all right. Look, you proved it. In Solved world. it, Martin. I apologize. What I ever question you, man? You nailed it. Sorry, um, mighty. But in this scene, as they're all fucking cooking in the sun, uh, a horse rides back without a rider. Uh, blood of my blood. Uh, you know what I mean? The guy who was kind of around in season one, who just <laughs> talked about like armor and shit. Right. Uh, he's been beheaded nights by another cow. Supposedly, I don't think we really know, but that's like the 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 implication yeah. is like the cow's going to come and they gets you. It's not going to be good. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is kind of showing that even though this miracle, this miracle happened, right. And the people did bear witness. Miracles don't provide water. Miracles don't provide food. Yeah. Shelter, All is money. not well. Like we've still got to figure this shit out. Yeah. Right. And also I want to give some props to the Dothraki for a second for being as loyal as they fucking are because it's like, yeah. go to where water is. Like, don't follow this dragon lady, man. Like it ain't worth it. You're going to die. You yeah. know? Fuck. It's, and they're uh, like, oh, I got nothing else going on. Might as well die in the desert. Um, hang out with some dragons. Some right. Tiny, tiny little dragons. Uh, uh, yeah, not, nothing else really happens with Daenerys. Not in right? this app. But the, the, this again, episode. her story is so much slower than anything else that's going on. It has to be yeah. told over many. And this, many- is, this is something that I kind of want to address. It's sort of a flaw in the books. Definitely a flaw in the show. Um, and I understand why it's a necessary thing to the plot, but Martin had to find a way to sideline Daenerys for as many books as possible. And we start to get into some territory with her where some of it's fitfully interesting, right. but uh, her scenes really kind of slow down the pace of things a bit in terms of movement in the plot. Mm-hmm. And I understand why it's there, but uh, especially this season, I'd say storyline just going forward not to spoil it um probably my least favorite part well because it's very repetitive like very 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 repetitive this is uh this is the uh, the uncharted one of story arcs you know what i mean like we're just doing the same shit over and over again which i guess is important to the 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 building of her character and what she needs to represent like here's the thing even when she secures armies i know we said we wouldn't go too far ahead but after she secures power, it's not like, let's fucking go. Like, we spend right. seasons with her being like, okay, now that you're ruling, learn how to rule. And I think yeah. it's the same thing. Like, in a way, she's a, she's a very close analog to Sansa, where she mm-hmm. has to learn how to play this game. And she right. tries to secure passage many times and fails and is easily manipulated. And, 
You know what I'm saying? Right. It's this frustrating push-pull thing where you understand why this is happening, and we understand that Martin needs to move these chess pieces in a certain way so that she gets to Westeros when she needs to be there. Right. Um, but at the same time, and it's also partly the fault of, I think, Amelia Clark's acting range is not great. It's inconsistent at best. There are parts where she's very convincing, and right. then there are parts where it's deeply unconvincing. Um, really shaky actress. Uh, it happens. <laughs> but overall, she does it. She gets in there. She's she commits. She's serviceable. Um, yeah, but yeah, all, all this is to say, like Daenerys' story can be frustrating, but at the same time, I don't really see a way around it. Like I right. get the logical reasons for why it is the way it is. Also, and again, and we'll move uh, forward because I want to talk about Theon here in a second. But uh, you get it because the spectacle of when she finally does land in mm-hmm. Westeros. You, 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 she went through the hero's journey, bro. Like, sure, sure. she has earned this shit finally. We've seen all the trials and tribulations. And now you're like, I'm kind of rooting for you, man. Because if you would have gone, like, it's so interesting. I think in the next episode, and we'll talk about it, she's like, I just need boats now. I think it's actually episode five. Uh, but still, it's like, it's so interesting to think, like, man, if it's all about timing, like, if you had gone now, like, I don't think you would have won, man. Like, right. No, no it's she... a whole thing. I don't know. It's very interesting. But I, you know, whatever. We'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, yeah. Let's cut to now Theon, who's en route to go back home, right? To go to the Iron Islands, to go make a plea to Balon, all that stuff. And I wrote down here, because this is very interesting to me, because he's fucking like a, like a, like a boat wench or whatever. <laughs> I don't want to call her that, but that's what she is, all right? Uh, this might be the last time Theon gets laid. <laughs> because listen, yeah. you and I know, this gets very dark for Theon. It gets progressively worse for him. And really so, got to take a small victory, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't want to spoil what happens to Theon, but yeah, this, this might be the last time he ever, he ever bangs a lady or anything. It's also um, sad so- because there is some exposition in it in as much that again, and, and, and it, we kind of talked about it last time. It's like when he proposes Balon Greyjoy, there's no ulterior motives. There's no manipulation of play, but he is such an insecure person grasping at any kind of semblance right. of an identity or loyalty or fealty or anything that like it took nothing for him to switch his allegiances on his brother. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it, again, I know I said it a uh, hundred times, but it's on the strength, not just of the writing, but Alfie Allen's performance sells you on that change and why that happens. Like there's not a moment where you're like, Oh, that doesn't make sense. Cause this is what he was saying before. Like you get right. it. This is clearly an insecure, an insecure guy who is looking for approval and love wherever he can get it because it's been denied him or to him his entire life. Right. Um, Quickly, let's jump to King's Landing. (laughs) This scene doesn't have a bunch of like consequential things, but it was just like, there's that scene where it cuts and they're inside of Littlefinger's whorehouse. And Mm -hmm. like, there's a guy getting blown, but he's looking through a peephole. And then someone is looking through a peephole watching him get blown. It's just like a porn version of Hamlet. And I'm like, well, this is wonderful. (laughs) Like forgot that it happened i was like look this has nothing yeah. no larger bearing on the overall story but none just craft <laughs> like, good job very just impressed by it. Um, um, here's a scene i actually did love i want to talk about it because uh, Tyrion's been clearing house like that's basically what he's been trying to do here uh, we have a so scene one Dave. of my favorites that's coming up but before that is his name ellen Payne? i forget his name always the bald fuck who was on the the council you're talking about Jano Slint? Is maybe that's who I'm talking about. Who the fuck's Il- 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 
Ilan Payne is the executioner who cuts off Ned Stark's head. He had his okay. tongue cut out by the Mad King. Right. Yeah. Okay. So not him. Although she's on the list and we'll get to that. So yeah, the guy who uh, who's like now running, he took over for Barristan Selby, that guy mm-hmm. who I'm thinking of. Yeah. So there's this fucking amazing scene. First of all, intro to Podrick. Again, some beloved character that Podrick. just keeps killing it every fucking time he has to. Um, so intro to Podrick, and then he's having that quest that you know again. Tyrion plays this game so well because he's insulting you to your face, and then immediately right. like is able to <laughs> deliver the line where you're like, he's both saying "fuck you" and being sympathetic. I don't know how he does that, but he's wonderful. Right. Uh, but it comes to this line where basically he's clearing house. He doesn't want people who are unloyal. Obviously, like the last hand of the king, the last two hands of the kings, Max. Okay, they got fucked over. There was there was not a like good support system here. Right. So I, I think he's really he's, just, he's putting measures in place to make sure that shit does not happen to him. Absolutely. He's going to survive this position for as this long as This fucking line that he says where he's like, I will not have my honor questioned by an imp. He's like, I'm not questioning your honor. I'm denying, denying its, its existence. existence. Yeah. Fucking so Peter good. Dinklage. Look, has anyone yeah. four of these awards? He deserves that's them four. All. That's yeah. Give him more. I need. I need more. like when this show ends, give it to him ten years Just in a row. <laughs> yeah. No, it's wonderful. He he basically uh, not only fires Jano Slint in this scene um, after whining and dining him and being charming and funny, right. uh, but he also conden- condemns him to a life of servitude at the wall. Right. Right. That is yeah. the uh, that's the fucking big consequence here because we right. see him in later seasons just being a piece of shit. Yeah, at the wall. This is how he got there. Yeah. So yeah, he sends him away. And beyond that, the bigger implication is Braun has now taken over as the right. the head of the was that the City Watch or the King's? The, I forget. Uh, it's the City Watch. All right. Yes. I'll believe no, you for now. The gold cloaks. That's what it was. I was Commander like, Commander of the Watch. Yeah. Right. Commander of the yeah. Watch. There we go. So that's a big deal because again, and what I get, what I love about this fucking show is again, so many people that come from nothing who just hustle. Varys, Littlefinger. But Bronn, Bronn like is is very upfront about what motivates him, man. It is just cash and status, all right. And within fucking two months yeah. of knowing Tyrion, okay, he is the fucking watch commander. Watch, it's amazing. Like what he doesn't seem all that like phased by it either. He's just like, yeah, that's it's about right. Like, he does not give a fuck. <laughs> it's pretty fucking perfect um uh, it's amazing uh let's let's cut very 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 quickly and very briefly let's cut back to aria on the on the roads because this is the moment like i said where no one is fooled gendry mm-hmm. knows that aria yeah. is aria Gendry's basically like well pull your dong out if you're if you're <laughs> a dude a piss. and she's like i don't want to pull my dong out and he's like oh you're a fucking girl She's like, well, shit. All right, yeah. Yeah, she doesn't hide it at all. But again, it's like, did Yorin know? Because Yorin, well, yeah, Yorin knows. Obviously, yeah. he's been on the fucking secret. But like, Hot Pie doesn't fucking know. None of the other people know. I just right. it's crazy to me, man. Except whatever. Anyway, I don't want to get lost in the sauce there. It's just like clearly she's a fucking girl, man. Anyway, mm. moving on. We're back on the Iron Islands, okay? Theon lands back on the Iron Islands. <clears throat> um, and by the way, this 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 part gets to me. Just very casually violates his sister. But just as weird, his sister, look, Let's she might happen. be like, well, she might be a great comedian. She's like, listen, this grosses me out, but I'm committing for the joke. The laugh mm-hmm. later when he knows who I am is going to be worth the fact that I was just molested by my brother. And in that respect, I respect her a lot. But yeah. in the other respect, she's crazy. Anything for a punchline. Yeah. Exactly, man. That's I, I really fucking love that. 
Um, yeah, and and then sees his father for the first time in years, who pretty much immediately uh, tears into him for right. looking like a fancy northern lord. And the kind of introduction that you get to the Iron Islanders is these are a rough fucking bunch, not too far removed from pirates. They right. pretty much rape and pillage along the coastline and take whatever they can. Their house motto is we do not sow. As in, they don't plant anything. They don't manufacture anything. They take the shit that other people planted, that other people manufactured. Right. And so, the iron price, which I think is a, yeah. is a really great scene where he's like, that armor, that fancy armor you got, did you pay it? What did you do? Was it with the iron price or was right. it with gold? And, you know, Theon realizes, like, he's been holding a pine. I'm from the Iron Islands. It's like, he's like a fucking kid who was born in New York, but left at age three, but still claims New York. You know yeah, what I mean? It's like, like, you're not hard, motherfucker. Hashtag Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing? So I like that, that again, Balon is able to cut right through the fucking bullshit, you know? Uh, right. Of, but but of, also you know. putting up some bullshit of his own. Like, let's be well, really course. fucking later. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, is it in this episode that uh, he, he snaps back at his dad? Or is that later? I think it's uh, I think it's the next episode. I think okay, it's episode. We'll, we'll get into that later then. Yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to say briefly about uh, Iron Island? No, just, just that oh, I think right. it's, a, again, the big interesting yeah. thing is to say, hey, Balon Greyjoy officially introduces a character that we've heard um, that we have not seen yet, which is yeah. Um, um, we should probably mention uh, old Stanny, Stannis. What he's right, been he's next to. on my list, yep. yep. Uh, which I was going to say is that we have, we have two things. Uh, Davos secures passage to King's Landing. He goes to his like old fucking pirate buddy who a I pirate love. Pirate smuggler fan, yeah, yeah. Which, Can I just say something like, is he not the same character? Remember like in the second Mummy movie? I know you do because we all love Brendan Fraser, okay? But in the second Mummy movie, he gets like his homie who's got like the flying boat or whatever mm-hmm. and it's the same fucking character. Just like right. some guy with an eye patch who's shifty as fuck but wants money but is probably loyal. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like he's a friend for a price. He's basically another brawn. Um, no, but it's an important scene because you get to learn a little bit more about Davos, which again, we know a little bit about his past, but you get to see, oh, he has been running in the less eloquent circles, less regal circles, if you will. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. But he still has a connection to that world, which I think is very, very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess let's stay with Stannis just for a second, even though I want to go back to King's Landing. Let's stay with Stannis, which is like, I really love this moment because in a lot of ways, man, this is the fork in the road moment with Stannis. Stannis and the fire priestess, she kind of lets him know, like, you need to commit. You need to, like, fully commit. Like, you need to fully commit, like, trying to get right. that fucking Stannis D, right? But yeah, again, well, this... Well, go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Well, it, this is basically her... Because uh, the idea here is, again, she's this foreign woman um who is preaching about this foreign religion and stannis is following up to a point sure but he's he's not like fully fully on board until until this scene like she's fully seduced him in this well listen scene. i know that we made a promise and i will break the promise this one time all right people all right. uh but listen this is such a pivotal moment for me because this is the proverbial fork in the road stannis has a choice here and by choosing right he basically they have sex and they conceive evil pure evil incarnate this is part of the red priestess right. plan. but this is the moment we're doing this i feel coupled with the scene in the finale uh where this is where it all goes bad, man. This decision is the first step to the to a journey that ends up with him one him losing everything, his house being wiped out from existence, his fucking daughter. Like everything happens and stems from this moment, and it's so yeah. tragic seeing it because we fucking know, and we just want right. to we want to be Bran going back to Ned Stark at the Tower of Joy, being like, "Father, like, don't do well, it." 
we get a lot of information about Stannis in this scene too, from the Red Lady, the Red Priestess Melisandre, which is basically that he has fathered no sons. He doesn't love his wife or isn't attracted to his wife in any way. His wife is this sickly, mentally unstable woman who he's locked away in a tower. And she's sort of like preying on this weakness that she sees in Stannis, this sort of like he's putting up a brave front. He soldiers on every day, but there's no love in his life. There's no sex in his life. He's fathered no legitimate heirs. Right. Um, he's this lonely, tragic man already. And she's fully taking advantage of that and saying, hey, let's bang. I'll give you a son. Right. I will give you a son. And that's enough for him to be like, all right. All right. It. Fuck it. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a, it's a really fucking wonderful scene though, because it just sets up so much of what's to come. And yeah. again, it's a pitfall. Really that... wonderful music, by the way, in all of their scenes. What I was going to say so... here is like, listen, I would love to do, maybe this will be a video essay for a little mm -hmm. fire burning. So it's something I really want to collaborate on with you, but yeah. I'm really obsessed with religion in game of Thrones because yeah. what's the real world analog? I like that there's not some mono-religious thing that's all over the world. Right. Depending on where you are, there are multiple. The old gods and the new, the fucking, yeah. the, the Lord of the Light, all this other shit. And again, what I love about it is that a lot of the miracles, right? Like Christianity, we talk about Jesus and the miracles. And we just kind of have to take that shit on faith because we ain't there to see it. But in this world, we get to see things happen. <laughs> like mm -hmm. things that are pretty fucking definitive as to what's going on and if there is a higher power. And so, right. like, I, I love that shit. And so maybe one day let's put our heads together and just do some fucking research on, like, yeah. what's this analog? Is this the Christ figure? Who is this Judaism? Is this Buddhism? Yeah. Like, I want to get Just putting this show into a historical context in general would be, like, yeah, an undertaking yeah. worth doing. Um, anything else with this episode uh, that you um, want to get into? Yeah, dude. A fucking wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scene with Tyrion and Cersei um, where they kind of talk about everything and you kind of get their relationship revealed in as much of why, like, it doesn't matter if Tyrion was, was normal. It doesn't, you know, normal in terms of being proportionate, not being a dwarf, okay? Like, not yeah. like he's some other person. But even if he was this normal, completely, if he was Jamie 2.0, he would never be loved by his sister. And it all stems from this moment uh, where she's like, he says some one-liner because that's what he always does. He's got a one-liner on deck. He's got fucking the one-liner of the day calendars and shit. And, and uh, she's like, you've always been so funny. Of course, none of these jokes are as funny as the original joke, you know, the one where you killed our mom on your way out. And right. it's just like you understand, you know, again, we can hate on Cersei a lot, but losing a parent, you know, losing anyone that's loved right. and not, especially when you're young and you can't comprehend it properly. You just, you have this fucking hate and this condemnation. And beyond that, it's not like it's just her. It's not like her fucking Tywin was like, love your brother. Okay. The only one who's really good to Tyrion is, is Jamie. Jamie. Yeah. yeah. So I just think the it's the best very, part of Jamie yeah. for the early parts of the show. Yeah. Well, for all the Lannisters, say what you want, except Tywin, because Tywin only gives a fuck about the name Lannister. Cersei loves her children. Jamie loves his brother. That, like, the love they have for each other is the most redeeming quality about any of them, essentially. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an important thing to mention. But I, I love it because, like, we'll get a lot more of this. We'll get a lot more exposition about that relationship and about how they viewed Tyrion as a child and stuff like that. Right. And it's just like, this is... And, yeah, just to briefly, like, give you a little book background, like, uh, for how beloved the Lannister mother was, and I forget her name, but she, like, uh, Tywin was known as a man who never smiled, and the only right. time anyone ever saw him smile was with his wife. Right. And so the idea that his wife was taken from him and taken from the children to birth what he sees as a lesser creature... Not right. even a son, but a creature. 
um, God. kind of really uh, puts the full like understanding like why that relationship is the way it is. We'll totally get to this when we get to it, but it's just it's such an important scene. And again, it's like in Tyrion's mind, he loves Tyrion so much that he didn't fucking kill him the minute he was born. That he killed his right. wife, but he had the name Lannister, and he did him the favor of letting him live. In his yeah. mind, I did my fucking job. Okay, I don't yeah. have to give you anything else. I think that's an important yeah. thing. We'll get to that when we get to it. This episode sure. ends uh, back beyond the wall at Craster's Keep. John is up very, very late at night, and he sees Craster sneaking out, right? Uh, a baby has been born, a baby boy, a beautiful baby boy, and he's being taken out to the middle of the fucking woods, all right, in the darkness. And John, Boy Scout that he is, decides that he's going to follow Craster into the woods. And this is when we get this discovery that, like, you know, Craster is taking these babies out to a, a secluded remote place in the woods, leaving them on the ground for something for something uh the presumption as we kind of think about it and is it's a something it's an animal it's a creature maybe it's a white walker it's something seems to be able to walk upright and pick it up you know even though it's all in the shadows but before we can get a really good look at it uh john looks behind him craster has found out that he's been following him punch fade to black end of episode so right. we get a little bit more exposition in terms of what's going on with with where are all the boys at you know what i mean mm -hmm. Um, and again, John's moral upright, I'm a goddamn Boy Scout thing is going to get him in trouble as it often does. Sure. Two episodes in, do you have any, like, you know, this is a fifth of the way through the story already. And yeah. again, we've only set up so much exposition. We have no moving parts necessarily happening yet. But how are you feeling two episodes into this? Uh, no, I, I just, like I said earlier, I think that the show is so immediately more confident in both its storytelling and its visual language. Right. Um, and that's just such an improvement. And it's already kind of setting up like whatever character dynamics you understood from the first season, it's really kind of putting them in a blender in this one and introducing new conflicts, putting new characters into each other's orbit for old characters that haven't interacted before. Um, Cersei and Tyrion have this wonderful dynamic throughout the season we didn't really get to see in the first. Varys mm -hmm. and Tyrion, like really Tyrion and anybody. Um, but that's something really wonderful that the second season starts doing is that all of these separate characters start to intersect. And you start to see like the full breadth of this story. And you're even seeing it in these first two episodes. Also, Absolutely. the introduction of Stannis uh, brings this kind of air of mystical tragedy to everything. It's almost close to horror in right. parts with his story. Um, so they're kind of playing with genre too. Like, I really, really love this season um, for a lot of reasons. And like, when we get to the wrap up, I'll give my full thoughts on it. But Absolutely. yeah, how about you? Uh, dude, I, I love it. Uh, I love this whole season because, again, uh, magic is very much in the fringes of the world in season one. And this season, we get a lot more fucking evidence yeah. of its existence in a way that's the, really the great. The fucking restraint of Martin to do To not that. bring out fucking magic immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like, to, no, to it's like, seriously, yeah. big ups to you, George. It's wonderful, man. Um, and this brings us to uh, episode three, which is uh, What is Dead Shall Never Die. Episode begins, man. Uh, Craster, as we pointed out, catches John at the end of the last episode. So he's like, get the fuck out! Demands the Night's Watch leave, all that shit. Uh, right. Commander Mormont's not very happy about it. Um, so obviously not a, not, a, not a proud moment for Jon Snow. He keeps getting, you know, like foot and mouth syndrome, essentially. But it's just him doing right. boyish actions. Uh, um, but in this moment, and I'm sorry if I'm getting the chronology screwed up here, but is this not where John kind of confides in the Lord Commander about what he saw? He does. Uh, and what, like, doesn't he not give a fuck, basically? He's just like, listen, it's life and death for us, man. Like, It's not that he doesn't give a fuck. Uh, Mormont basically 
doesn't say anything. And then Jon Snow goes, you knew, you mm-hmm. knew about this. And Mormont basically more or less says that Craster does what he needs to do to keep the peace with whatever's out there. Right. And that this is a man, again, reestablishing that like he's terrible, but we have to, like he's the difference between life and death for our people. Right. And our numbers are failing or dwindling. Yeah. It's got to be, again, man, I just, this whole show, and I'm going to say this a billion times, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but the whole show is honorable people realizing that honor is gone. And the more you try yeah. to rely on it, the more fucked you are, man. Like, Lord yeah. Mormont's a good person. We, we know he's a good guy. Like, and but, but he's necessarily embraced the gray area in order right? to survive and protect his people. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. Which um, is a, a lesson that John continues to learn is that gray area. It's a place he starts to kind of live in yeah. pretty permanently. But again, that's um, the whole point going back to the last episode. Do you want to lead one day? Learn how to follow. And I think yeah. that that's an important lesson and he kind of has to get there. Uh, other important moments in the, uh, in the Beyond the Wall, Craster's Keep scene. This is a really pretty scene with Sam and, and Gilly. And I'm just going to say this. Like, I love Sam. I really do from like almost the beginning. I know he's a hapless motherfucker, but mm-hmm. he's adorable and he reads a lot. You know, like <laughs> he's like the kind of guy that like no woman would date in high school. But like 10 years later, they've been fucked over by a bunch of shitty men. They're like, oh, Sam, right. he's sweet. He was there the whole time. You know what I mean? Just like, a fucking angel in human form. Just right. Oh, my God. He's okay. perfect. Take and, and at least Gilly like yeah. isn't slooting around with anyone else. You know, like she right. kind of just likes him. Her as alternative well. is her fucking dad. So, right. <laughs> not a lot of competition. Very low for Sam. Bar. Imagine yeah. how shitty Sam would have to be for she'd be like, I prefer the fucking. Like, no, nah, I'll stay here. I'm good. Uh, but he gives her his like his mom's trinket as a like, oh, I'll pick it up from you when I come back, you know, doing mm-hmm. that whole thing. And it's just, I, I like that. Yeah, them. no, I it's, their it's story. fucking cute. Yeah, it is. It's adorable. really adorable. Uh, back in Winterfell, uh, we're seeing a, a lot of hints at Bran's ability to to work man you know he's getting all these visions where he uh you know he's he's as a dire wolf running through the fucking woods and shit like that and again small hints of what's to come this magical nature that that at least he exhibits but the idea that warging is a real thing out there we see it later in the season as well right and it's so not it's, defined for us at this point in the show so we don't really know what to make of these visions and brand yeah. doesn't either i have we a don't. word for it because i've seen the rest of the show at this time i'm like right. oh these are just random visions you know right so. and that and that's how i took it i took it as oh he's just having weird dreams or he has some kind of extra sensory something because he's crippled now right and that's true but I didn't realize the extent of it. Right, you thought he was yeah. fucking Winterfell daredevil. <laughs> he Something lost like that. Yeah, honestly, yeah. You lose uh, the you see your legs, you get wolf dreams. Absolutely, everyone knows that. That's number one rule. If I could be in a cripple in this world, uh, other big moment I like again the world that they build. It's so casual because other people would be like, "Have you heard of these things called the children of the forest?" As he looks down the fucking barrel of the camera, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. But instead, it's casually mentioned. It's the first mention of these these creatures, these things that live out in the fucking woods right. or whatever. And I really love that. I don't think we see them for fucking years, man. But the idea is still the seed is planted early in season two, which right. I think is really fucking brilliant for the show. Um, from there, let's cut over to uh, fucking Catelyn arrives at behest of his brother or of her son to go yep. talk to Renly about an alliance. And what I love about this scene, on top of a lot of things, is you see immediately that like people love Renly, number one. Number two, it just seems like a fucking party over there, right? They yeah. got the numbers. They ain't worried about shit. They're having like little fucking fun jousts and shit like this. And this is the introduction of another fucking fan favorite that we all love, all right? Uh, Brienne of Tarth, uh, first introduction, man. How'd you feel mm-hmm. about this intro? 
Uh, really, really, really good. Um, I really like Gwendolyn Christie in this role. I, I should note contrast to the books, and this is something that kind of holds true for most of the characters. None of the, almost none of the actors in this show are nearly as ugly as their characters are <laughs> in the books. Right, and yeah. her especially, like she's got like some weird Tilda Swinton thing going on in this show, but in the books, she's like deliberately just like got this like pudgy nose and like blistered lips and right. like crooked teeth and just ugly as shit but she still has this like heart of a warrior right you know and she's madly deeply profoundly in love with renly right yeah which they play you you feel it they may not ex- like explicitly say it but uh the, we'll get there when we get there i'm sorry yeah. i don't want to jump ahead but it's a really powerful scene i like her a lot too man i, I think that Again, beyond her just becoming this this crowd favorite, uh, she's someone who's living by that honorable code, and you're just like, I hope yeah. this keeps going for you, honey. Because she, she like, might be like the purest, other than Barristan Selmy, might be the purest version of a knight in the classic sense that we get. What's more beautiful about that is Barrison Selby was born in a time where honor was still fucking uh, uh, honored. You know what I mean? Like, for lack of a better word, it was still something that people liked and expected uh, from people. And now it's like we're in a fucking shit show of a world and this person still has it much younger, much younger. So. And and not only that, but the show throws up or the story throws up a roadblock after roadblock at her throughout mm-hmm. her entire life and after the point that we meet her. It gives her the opportunity to let go of that honor she never yeah. does. She's the fucking Kermit the Frog of this story, man. Just just beat mm-hmm. down every single week, keeps coming back up. Just so fucking sweet and considerate. And I wish I was a green. I wish I was Brienne. I wish I was Kermit. I wish I could just be that kind to everyone always, <laughs> but I'm not, man. Back in the Iron Islands, we have the Greyjoys plotting because now at this point, we've pretty much got like, it took what, fucking a week? I don't know how long he's been there, but it took no time for him to sell out his fucking brother. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's rough, man. It's rough to see Theon making these decisions because it just shows that he's such a fucking jellyfish. He has no spine, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Theon? Yes, no Theon. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, not a, it's not an easy watch to see him immediately crumble. Um, with the hope that he's going to win his father's approval. But again, you understand it. And um, yeah, the idea here is what, at this episode, uh, Balon is making it clear he's like drawing up battle plans to kind of uh, attack the North um, right. along the shoreline while Rob Stark is fighting his war down South. Right. Because the North has basically been vacated. All the bannermen have been called. There's barely anybody left up there to defend all this territory. This is just like when I'm playing Civilization and Gandhi's been trying me all game. So I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to go take Delhi. And I put all my resources there. And he just takes a boat and he gets my other cities because I I put... that's me. I'm a bad planner, but like Gandhi's that's what happened here. Bitch. You, you can't he leave that shit unattended. Bitch. That's all I'm saying. Gandhi's a tricky bitch. He is. Gandhi's the one real world leader that I think if you threw him in the middle of Game of Thrones, he would fucking beat everybody. He's like, I don't need dragons, okay? Like, I'm ruthless as fuck. I'm scorched earth, and I'm going to win. Once he gets those nukes, it's over. Um, incredible. <clears throat> Uh, King's Landing. Let's jump there because we have three kind of, uh, well, two really important things. And I think uh, one that's just, it's it's nice little uh, foreshadowing, if you will. Uh, there's a part where Tyrion straight up when talking to Shay says, you are my weakness. Um, and it's very accurate. And, you know, we get we got that story last season right before battle where he talks about how his, his brother paid for a prostitute and his dad made every fucking, you know. Right. horrific shit uh he's had a lot of bad luck with these people and yet he's fallen for this woman despite that has risked his status brought her in secret to king's landing because he can't be without her 
and and he's and he's cogn- he he knows immediately that eventually if anyone catches wind of this this will be the first or a part of the arm that they squeeze is Shay, like his affection right. for her and his relationship. So I just think that's a very important thing to mention very quickly. Um, and that she is legitimately affectionate to him too. Like, like it's, it's starting to become real for her as well right. on some level. Yeah. Um, I mean that the strengths of that bond are tested, but yeah, like at least at this point in the show, she's not just some, this you isn't know. Jamie Lannister's 2.0 version of that thing. Like that's no. gone on for much longer. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's genuine affection going. Yeah. both. She, she sees the human being, not just the dwarf. Um, which she is, says something to that effect, right? She's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I love you. It doesn't really matter, which I think is very sweet. Shay, at least now is still very, very cute. Uh, let's move on very quickly. Cause I just, uh, again, Cersei is way better at playing this game than most people is most people are i didn't use my subject agreements there i'm sorry but my point is this for the most part she usually at least she understands the idea of not being honorable about shit ned stark would never have used a kid as a prop for war cersei ain't above that shit and in fact she does it all the time so we have like you know her trying to talk to rob and like you know get him to do the right thing according to cersei and and so I think there's a, there's a dinner scene and it's like Marcella's there and who's Joffrey's little brother? What's his name? Tommen. Tommen. Sorry. Sorry. He's so adorable, man. Such a mm-hmm. good guy. Um, they kind of get into the whole fact that like, well, what happens if Rob Stark doesn't do the right thing? <laughs> like, and it's just like Sansa will still do her d- duty. Won't you little dove? Like so fucking menacing. Just being like, you, you need right. to say what the fucking party line is because there's no other option for you here. You're effectively a fucking prisoner. We let you walk around because like your chains are like, we, you know, the, we don't need physical fucking chains to keep you here. And I right. just think it's like such a powerful fucking thing to kind of, you know, enforce that and again she's so young she's so impressionable that it's it's like it's hard to see an adult just running mental fucking circles around someone who's uh, right. not she well doesn't versed. stand a, a chance right. yeah yeah she's got very few people watching out for her but luckily she does have a few right which, again we'll get into later i keep As fucking we get saying that. people have a source a soft spot for this sansa and i don't think that she deserves it at all she gets way too much charity but <laughs> beyond that this is the whole story of how everything's easy street for Sansa, okay? <laughs> She's just gliding through the show while everyone else God suffers. Damn it, man. Like, do you ever, this is a small tangent, but did you ever read like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a kid? Did you read yeah. any of those? Okay. The whole series, they're not that great. I just want to throw that out there. But so like, there's a bunch of kids that go in. The one who ends up in the final book being queen, like who runs Narnia, is the one who did not believe it or do anything in the entire plot. She did not, not since Louis the Fourteenth has a liege taken over that deserved it less. Like oh I was God. so upset, and this I just feel like Sansa was just going to glide her way to the fucking throne somehow. <laughs> anyway, sorry for the tangent. There's Let's go to my time. favorite. Scene. Let me get to my favorite scene of the whole fucking thing, which again sure. is Tyrion killing it. There's this wonderful scene. I don't know how it was written in the book. So if you can try to go into the way back and tell me if you remember how it was written. But there's this really wonderful scene where Tyrion, and it's from his perspective, he's, I think he's got uh, Varys there. And he's like, you mustn't tell the queen. <laughs> and he's yeah. giving basically misinformation. He's trying to figure out who's loyal to him, who will immediately right. go rat him out, shit like that. So it's this cross edit scene where he's, he's giving like a monologue explaining the whole situation. But uh, when it cuts back, we have... Uh, what Varys, we have Littlefinger, we have Ma- uh, Meister Pycelle. And right, and to be clear, like, yeah, what, what he's negotiating with all of them, he's saying, um, you know, we need to get Myrcella um, married off. And right. 
again, marriages are strategic alliances. So he's proposing some crazy shit. Like, let's bring Dorne into the fold and marry Marcella off to the Prince of Dorne. Or, or Theon Greyjoy. Theon <laughs> Greyjoy. Let's bring the Iron Islanders and their, uh, their fleet of naval ships and they'd be a great ally to have in the North, etc. And he's saying a different thing to each person and telling them not to tell the queen. Right. Um, and we see the payoff of that pretty immediately. But yeah, it's great. I legitimately don't remember how this went down in the books. Uh, forgive me for some blind spots here because it's been a good five years since I read this shit. But no, it's totally I, fine. Just, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, I seem to remember it going down pretty similarly. But the way this is edited is so good because it's like you keep thinking he's talking to Varys and then it'll cut to Littlefinger going, tell the queen what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's great. Or just Varys being like, I love sentences that start with this. <laughs> like, you know, it's just so fucking yeah. good. My point is this. This is an example of when I think a visual medium can uh, exceed what the books can do. Only because editing allows us to save fucking time. We yeah, got no, that whole scene. I guess in the book, they had to do it three identical scenes, essentially, like yeah. sequentially. So you kind of understood it. I'm sure they played it in their own fucking way. Like there's a way the books did it that the show couldn't do it. But what I'm saying is that this is a really good visual moment. Right. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, another thing I really love is just um, fucking Cersei <laughs> letting her brother know, like, um, you think that paper is going to keep you safe? Ned Stark had a paper, you know? Mm -hmm. Stop fucking around with shit because she comes in and she's like, Dorne, you're going to send her to Dorne? <laughs> like, Which means, out by Pycelle. the way, that Grand Meister Pycelle uh, ratted him out. What um, I like about Pycelle is that hasn't he served like three kings at this point yeah. or four kings or something? <laughs> and I love that even the people he's like, you know loyal to they still don't like him nobody likes this old piece of shit at right. all um, no well and great. that's the thing like there's no love loss for it except for cersei i mean because i think Tyrion throws pycelle into the uh to the black cells right as like punishment right. into throws the literal dungeon yeah he like cuts off his beard throws him oh, into the dungeon that was metal what a nice little touch like that's yeah. that's that's pretty bad and, and pycelle is in bed with a, a whore <laughs> And well, like Tyrion very carefully like places some change on, on the bed and says, And then comes back trouble. and gives her more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's so good. Oh, yeah, he's like, like, oh yeah, Pesel, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, here's some more. <laughs> you deserve double this shit. <laughs> you deserve all the change. Um, um Littlefinger's also mad. There's a great line. It's like, leave me out of your next deception. You know, right. they're kind of going at it. But it's just interesting because Littlefinger is deceiving everyone all the time that genuinely I think he's pissed that he didn't do it first. I think that's his bigger right. beat here. Well, also just the fact that somebody bested him and yeah. did it without him seeing it coming. And what I love is that Varys reacts op like in a completely opposite way. Like right. this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship yeah. right here. Yeah, this is like, the this end is of when Varys realizes <laughs> like legitimately that Tyrion can play this fucking game. He's not like on his sister's side. He's but more importantly, yeah, Tyrion is not about self-aggrandizing. Tyrion, much like yeah. Varys, is about what are we doing for the realm, man? Exactly. <laughs> like, the realm and, and Varys is like, you can see the wheels spinning here. Like, okay, maybe this guy is, is an ally. Maybe this is somebody that I can work with. Well, it has literally one of my favorite lines where, and it, it's so good. Uh, power is, a, is an illusion. It's a shadow on a wall. And a very mm -hmm. small man can cast a very large shadow. 
And I'm like, fucking A. And again, the glory shot, the, the Heisenberg shot of Tyrion as he says that line. You're like, you're at the zenith of your power. It's like, you're so fucking proud of this guy for just yeah. killing it. No one can best this guy so far. And it's just uh, so awesome. I love so it. So fucking good. Yeah. Um, let's jump very quickly to back to the Iron Islands because Theon is getting his Iron Island baptism, essentially, man. He's mm-hmm. renouncing all that older, all old bullshit. Uh, you know, that which is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger, you know, coming back, the rebirth of Theon Greyjoy. It's all bullshit, right? So, like, not to spoil what's coming up in the upcoming episodes, but you know, he didn't come back stronger, smarter, harder, nothing, all right? He's kind of fucked here, and we'll get to that as we get to that. Um, Arya can't sleep uh, when we're, you know, still on their way to the north. Um, our boy Yorin is kind of telling her this really wonderful story. And, again, it's great because he's such Love a minor character. Um, yeah, yeah, you're liking the scene too because for me it was kind of the highlight of the thing and and it's weird because it's a character who is and and I think overall I want to say this is like a great episode and this is like one of those quiet scenes that kind of quietly steals the show but yeah Yeah, absolutely because again the end of the episode is not it doesn't end on this quiet scene this is this uh, you know really beautiful uh, quiet moment before the the storm proverbially so I think it's a really big deal and oh my god just that part where he's like Willem Willem almost like a prayer like you know he's telling that fucking story i mean what the fact that that Mar- i'm sure martin did this a lot in the books because you can take your time with books but the fact that the showrunners thought like let's give this cat a fucking moment <laughs> you know what right. i mean like this beautiful moment and it makes you realize that even though we're only following i mean we're following so many people but this is such a this very populated world and uh if we decided to turn the camera away from this person to some other random fucker at Aaron Hall he would also have some beautiful backstory and history and it just makes yeah. it feel so lived in man and and that yeah that is the beauty of what martin has done it transcends the fantasy genre for me it's just the fact that he can create these three-dimensional people with just a few keystrokes right um and makes this guy yorin not just this three-dimensional tragic person because like before this moment Yorin was kind of like the fun-loving member of the Night's Watch. He was like goofing off with Tyrion and getting drunk and laughing at, you know, Alice or Thorne or whatever. Um, Here, like, you get, like, some pathos, and you realize uh, that he is an analog for um, who Arya is is about to become in in some way. You know, the idea of that mantra of the person that's that's wronged him. Um, Yeah. Great. it's no it's it's it, it, it's it's in these moments that the show is the best version of the show because we said it's when people are talking that's fine but again the ability to take someone you've never really spent more than a passing moment thinking right. about and to give him such a profoundly beautiful moment that says so much about him that scene i believe is five minutes long and they give you yeah. an entire character arc in it and it's and just it's wonderful writing. what happens in the following um it definitely raises the emotional stakes for aria because Which, this is not the first, but one of many instances where she makes a connection and that connection is severed. Immediately. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the problem. And so let's not even jump around it. The finale of the episode is, uh, you know, the horns start blaring. And those, those cats from the, the what, last two episodes ago, they're like, we'll be back, motherfucker. We'll be back with yeah, more people. Fucking back. They came back. And they came back with a lot of people. And so this, you know, kind of battle ensues. And for a moment, it looks like maybe they'll hold their own. But very quickly, it doesn't happen. Jock and Hagar is about to catch on fucking fire. Arya's got to save him really quickly. But it all right. devolves into a point where, you know, Yorin is killed right in front of Arya, the first of many 
or not the first, mm-hmm. but you know, the continuation of, of a lot of horrible things that keep happening to her. And <clears throat> we get back to the point where we were in the beginning of that episode where, or two episodes ago where it's like, who's Gendry? Like, we know he's got this fucking helmet. We need to kill this guy and blah, 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 blah. Right. And we just see that they're heartless assholes. They're one of the kids got hurt in the scuffle and he's like laying on the ground and he's like, you need to carry me. And he's just like, Oh yeah, I'll carry you. And just stabs him through the fucking throat. And you realize like, again, you know, they're killing children. These are supposed to be honorable right. men. They're knights. They're killing children. So it's fucked up immediately. But Aria, the, you know, a lot smarter than I think people give her credit for. It's not that she's dumb, but she hasn't had the applicable real world experience to be able to think this quickly on her feet. And in the moment she knows people are looking for Gendry. She knows that there is a dead body that can, well that won't say otherwise that he isn't gentry you know yeah and so that person who was killed that kid who was stabbed through the neck who had a hurt leg she kind of says you wanted gentry you got him and mm. so at least temporarily we get a reprieve from this whole idea because again her traveling companion is one of king robert's bastards and a, a character that is in the wind for a very long time so yeah. i think it's it's a pretty smart savvy move from her man yeah and and we should really make clear how important gentry is potentially Sure. He he might be the last living heir. Yeah. To the rightful Robert. Heir. Yeah, yeah. Rightful heir to Robert Baratheon, like the man who deserves to be sitting on the Iron Throne. <sighs> Which is weird people, when right when we when we get into later seasons, it gets that you know we're we're we're, just, we're six episodes away from the end game, and that is just something we've completely ignored in favor of like our <laughs> other main characters. You know what right. I mean? Like, but it is yeah. a very big moment that is rapidly approaching. Yeah. Um, and it's it so wonderful. So that's three episodes. And this brings us to episode four, one that I'm a big fan of. Uh, Garden of Bones. Garden of Bones, my friend. So Garden of Bones, uh, which is named after the surrounding area of the greatest city that ever was or ever will be, the city uh, in, in, in Essos, which ah. this is what I wanted to bring up, which is we are talking about this whole story about Westeros, right? This is essentially another continent. Like, this is completely far away, an ocean apart. This is the yeah. North America versus Europe sort of uh, perspective of it, if you will. Yeah. No, Essos is almost like all of Asia. Like, it's, it's massive. It's right. Huge. Well, I was just saying in terms yeah. of a completely different continent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. But, know. yeah, to, to be clear, like, just to be clear, like, how much we've kind of neglected that. Like, there is this whole other part of the world that we don't spend that much time in, but... Uh, it yeah. seems if it had to be an analog for anything, it honestly seems more like North Africa, like the, you know, yeah. these ancient civilizations that were really great. Um, yeah, d- definitely like anything South and East of the Mediterranean. Right. Um, I would say like that Turkey fertile crescent sure. area. Yeah, yeah, dude, totally. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about that, but that absolutely fits. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a, it's a very interesting arc that kind of comes into play and we'll get there when we get to there. But I think the episode opens with uh, the introduction to Roos Bolton. This is the first time we see this motherfucker. Roos. Love it. Is he someone that we You're like? My boy. But because the, well, he's controversial in later episodes and we'll get there at now. I get it. I, he has this whole scene with Rob where he's just like, listen, the high road's pretty, but you can't march your fucking armies through there. Cause it starts off yeah. with the, you know, it's post battle and, Rob isn't the Lannisters. He believes that, oh, these are prisoners. And we, he's the Geneva Convention guy, okay? He's like, right. we got to keep these guys chill. Roos is like, Let's kill them all. Yeah. Roos is like, hey, we barely have enough food to feed our own troops. Why are we going to take prisoners? We don't have infrastructure for this. We don't have right. tents. We don't have pens. Yeah. But again, it's like, you understand Geneva Convention, Rob. You also understand the practicality, the cold pragmatism of Roos Bolton. Right. 
And, and, I think- and d- at this point in the show, I, like when I was first watching it, I was like, you know, like this Roos guy, like I get where he's coming from. And right. like, I'm kind of glad that Rob has somebody who is this coldly practical to be like, hey, like you need someone like that to fight the Lannisters. Right. That's all they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, but again, it's like people learn these lessons a little too late is just generally the theme here. But yeah. still, it's an interesting thing to note because at the time we didn't realize we were seeing someone who would go down to be so... I mean, that's the thing about all these fucking characters' first introductions. How am I supposed to know what their larger role in the larger story is going to be, you know? And yeah. so Bruce Bolton is just, it's, it's, let's, let's put a pin in that because it's a very interesting introduction and uh, later sure. things that happen later in the season uh, revolve around that. So um, a couple things I want to talk about really quickly. Let's jump to Hall because that's where uh, Arya and Gendry and, and our boy Hot Pie have all been taken to. Yeah, um, I, I love the visual design of this castle and right. how it looks. Um, it's this castle that has been burned uh, and destroyed by dragon fire right. uh, centuries ago. Which is just the standing ruins of this once great impenetrable castle. Right. Which yeah. you sent me a very interesting video and I, and I don't know what it's called, but and I'm mad because I wanted, I would love to give that guy the credit. It's a wonderful yeah, it's, video. Uh, yeah. His name is nerd writer. He's actually like a pretty decently popular guy who like tackles a different subject every week, but okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, the video that, that you showed me was this really wonderful thing because, you know, Game of Thrones has a lot of real world analogs. You know, the mm-hmm. Red Wedding is the black dinner in history. Uh, the War of the Roses is largely the, the influence of what the show is. So it's, it's not like that's a big surprise at all. But what he kind of talked about was the idea of like in real world fighting, right? Because we see this now, like they, they have bannermen. They have houses that are loyal to people. And it was like sort of like the fucked up World War One alliance system that we had in America, where it's like, shit, if you get into war, that triggers this person, this person, this person, this right. person. All the dominoes fall. It's yeah. the same thing. But so like we talk about in the real world, cannon fire, gunpowder. These are the things that really kind of changed warfare. Because before that, if you had castles and high walls. You just fucking stayed in your walls, man. Right. Like, it was way easier to sieges. And yeah, like you just did what you could to like draw the Lord out. But right. you pretty much couldn't fucking get in absolutely and in westeros we didn't have the advent of gunpowder i mean we have things that explode and we'll get to that but you know this is this is the idea of like the analog for cannons and gunpowder were the dragons Mm -hmm. the dragons changed the game man like you could no longer fight the old war and i think that's a real like i don't know i love little things like that where you realize where like money had to come into play much better you didn't have to have all the money in the world as long as you had the advantageous you know, if you had home field uh, advantage, essentially, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's a very interesting world building thing. I, I like you. I love the design of it, but I pretty much love everything that happens in this scene. One, we get the introduction of Arya's list. I think it's the first time you actually hear her like going through the list of people. Mm-hmm. This is something that carries us even now into the, where the show is. So I think that's a really good introduction. Um, we also see that... <laughs> That just, first of all, we see Old Mountain because they have recast this fucker like how many times? But this is like Sorry. skinny mountain. Like this is just really tall, kind of a snack. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's not like, the mountain in season one is like a big fucking Hulk. Mountain and, and all the other ones is yeah. a big fucking Hulk. This guy's just tall. He's handsome. Yeah. No, I think there have been three or four total mountains. They just, uh, I think they finally landed on on the guy. This is the last one. Yeah, yeah. this is the real mountain. He's literally the strongest man on earth. I'm Those fuckers sure. were killing Manjaro, but this new mountain, he's fucking Everest, man. He's like the, <laughs> the one to put them all to shame. 
Yeah. Uh, but so they have a scene where like basically these these fucking people are just like, you know, they've taken everyone prisoner and they're kind of methodically one by one, every, once a day or twice a day. I don't know. Uh, they're, they're picking people out of the pen and then, you know, asking them for information. They're trying to like get all this info out of them. Whether they give it to him or not, it seems like everyone's head ends up on a, on a pike, according to that one lady who had been there for a little bit. She was like, right. they took my son, and two days ago, they took my husband, and before that, my sister. And he was like, fuck, this is, I'm right. sorry. Like, you've lived a bad life. And, so, and not just head on a pike, but, like, the preferred torture of choice here is strapping, like, a hungry rat in a bucket, strapping that bucket to their chest, and then heating the bucket with fire until right. the rat burrows into your chest. Which is um, kind of amazing because I just want to point out that like Fast and Furious also did this, and I was just like, very rarely could I could I compare yeah. Fast and Furious and Game of Thrones, but in this one specific, really ingenious idea of torture, like they nailed yeah. it. You know what I mean? They're killing it. So we have that, and again, they don't show it to us graphically, which is nice. But you see it happen, and I think like when they cut back to Hall later on, it's that same guy who just had his fucking you know rat right. burrow into him with his head being literally fucking hammered yeah. down into a pike, which is fucked up. They're about to do the same thing to Gendry at this point uh, in the episode. And they literally have their heating it up and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden fucking coming in like a goddamn wrecking ball, Tywin Lannister, the first appearance of Tywin Lannister in season two, Max, mm-hmm. um, which dude, I'm Charles dance. You gift. Like anytime you're on screen, you don't have to say a word. Just the way he rode that wow. horse. I was like method. He fucking yes. spent hours riding that horse in his mind. Right. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, I, I do want to say like before we gloss over it I just really uh, appreciate the time they took just to show that scene of Arya laying there in the mud not with fear but with resolve right um, you know because this is a little girl and it's like it, this is like really the first time where you're really seeing like the toll this is taking on her right but the fact that she's not going to let it beat her she's purely driven by revenge at this point yeah no, I mean, it's it's a really subtle thing, isn't it? Uh, mm. Which is hard to do because Arya, I don't, don't want to say she's like a bad actress at all. I just, it's a, it, it's a, it's a role that's demanded a lot. And it's, it's, you know, when you're young, maybe you can't always deliver on that. But I yeah. really think she starts to own this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's yeah really, no, she really, she really comes into her own in the season. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, but, but, but yeah, Tywin riding in there. I'm well, sorry, everything yes. with him specifically. I mean, so he, he rolls up in there. He's like, you're just torturing people. Like, motherfucker, yeah. are we, are we, do we have like, or, or Smith's growing on trees and shit? We need laborers. We need people to do stuff. Like, right. and this one, this one's a girl. You know, this one's a girl, right? Which again yeah. is my point that anyone with half a braid is just like <laughs> clearly, immediately, like clearly a girl. Uh, uh, and yeah. so he decides to put everyone to work. Gendry included. Gendry's a Smith. He's like, all yep. right. Go forge yeah. some shit. You, I need a new. Uh, what does he call it? Not a chambermaid, but like, uh, it's uh, like a basically a drink pourer. <laughs> That's all she. Yeah, does. basically like a handmaiden. Not really a handmaiden, but it's not something. Yeah, yeah. Well, She's he brings her in. drinks. Yeah, yeah, he brings her in essentially. And, and this uh, is an invention of the show, by the way. These two characters never interact in the books. Um, right. Yeah. Um, great invention, dude. It's 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 my favorite for a lot of reasons because I think I think. And I don't know what I don't know how it is in the book, so please tell me if you remember it all. But for me, it's like I don't know if Tywin gets as many likable moments in the book ever as we like him in these scenes with Arya. No, because- I, yeah, Ty- Tywin's pretty much like a kind of a fucking bastard the entire time in the books. Like, there's barely barely anything redeeming about him. You understand him, you respect him, you fear him, but he's not. This is like the only time you really see a softness to him at all. Right. You know, like where he shows this mild amount of affection 
and respect. I was going to say, it girl. looks like he cares more about Arya than any of his kids. I mean, even Jamie, like he, he it's, I'm sure he cares about Jamie, but it's really about like, you, you took this position, you can't have heirs or lands. Like, the fuck yeah. are you doing? <laughs> like, well, I mean, again, this is a character we were introduced to in the show is like skinning a stag. With, right. his, with his bare hands. Um, this is a man who does everything himself. And I think the idea of seeing uh, this girl who has survived this long on her own right. and has this much uh, resolve, um, this, this he respects that much. more than his children yeah. who grew up with a silver spoon in their mouths. Now, he doesn't know this is Arya Stark. Obviously. But, yeah. but like I think that on some level, he resents his son and his daughter and his other son just for being who they are yeah because they've never had to do what this little girl did and he seemingly like likes her from the beginning like he's yeah. like why lie uh, it's safer to travel smart girl <laughs> like immediately like smart. more fucking yeah. praise than anything he's ever right? given her so i just <laughs> love that um and we get so much more of that in the in the coming episodes and i can't wait to talk about all of that but let's jump really quickly to the other side of the world because i want to talk about the karth of it all which is shit's kind of gone bad but then a homie rides up one of the people that danny sent in one of the various directions yeah mm-hmm. uh, ends up coming back with a horse that is not his own horse right so this yeah. is the sign of some other civilization she's kind of excited about it it's like karth so on the seats two days ride east you know we got to go yeah. and then we do kind of a quick jump cut to mm-hmm. her being a car through it over here <laughs> but yeah. whatever you know yeah, that's fine uh, see that journey. this was already a slow story like i didn't need yeah. an episode of them fucking walking the car all right uh but they get there and what i like about it immediately is again these are ancient civilizations these are great cities too just because they're far removed from where this, the the uh, epicenter of where our story is unfolding yeah. doesn't mean and, it's not and- a good place totally different political structure here that we're seeing this is the first not monarchy um or monarchistic however you say that uh, right. structure that you see this is a merchant republic right is, it's 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 very oligarchic that's not a yes. word uh, but no, yeah, I, yeah. did i say it correctly did i conjugate yeah, it yeah, yeah you did but um, it, it really is it's a small group of wealthy people who are making and running the decision and in car they're called the 13 right like yes. this, this council of people who run shit and they have their own fucking weird rules and bylaws. Like, that's what I really like. Yeah. Who's got, it's the first time in Game of Thrones where I'm just like, oh, you're just making up shitty names. <laughs> like, who's the guy who lets her in? Is like, Zaro Zon Daxos? Okay, too many names, bro. Take one of those out. It's fine, Martin. So his editor really should have told him, like, what are you doing? Getting paid by the word? Well, I, I, I do love that there, there is that joke where, like, the leader of Karth comes out and, yeah. and she's like, what's your name? And he's like, you wouldn't be able to pronounce it. <laughs> so he doesn't even bother telling us what his name is. That all seems great, though, because Danny's like, uh, it's great to be in front of Quarth. And he's like, Koth, like immediately yeah. like, he throws a fucking U in it for some reason. Right. Yeah, um, no, that, that scene is great because it's like just an entire scene of people dunking on Danny. Right. You know, because she comes in there with a lot of entitlement. And this is the right. thing about Daenerys that's kind of hard to take. Yeah. yeah, she she's got a lot of entitlement. And you kind of see pieces of her brother a little bit too. Just like this whole like she's owed this. She what I love about that too is think about this. Uh, Motherfucker, who gives a shit if she was a Targaryen? Like that doesn't matter yeah. in this part of the fucking world. You're nobody. Right. The only exactly. reason they give a fuck, they're giving, they're granting you an audience because they heard you have some fucking Dragos, man. Like that's the yeah. only reason they're giving you an audience. So I really love that they're like not. Oh, I got a fucking bow to you. Fuck, you're in Karth. This is the greatest city that ever was or will be, and right. you need to show some fucking, uh, you know, like some humble yeah. humility, man. I don't know. It's a really good scene. But this is my point. So we get that kind of structure and they're ready to leave her out. And, and she even puts it on front street. Like, if you don't let us in, 
we're going to die. I also like that there's just clearly racism in this world as well, beyond socioeconomic. Like they look down on the Dothraki, they think they're savages, and right. they would they would uh, they would degrade, they would debase the great city of Karth if they were to be allowed through the walls. Which, in um, fairness, uh, probably Dothraki don't have a great track record, but you know. Yeah. How many times do you think Dothraki even led it to other city walls and they just fucked it up for all the civilized Dothrakis out there? It was just like, I would have... Well- I would have vacationed. I would have gone to a spa. You fucked it up, man. Pretty like, much. I mean, there's, I don't know if they say it in the show or if it's just in the books, but like the Dothraki are known for like, if you see them approaching your city, like give them the a fuck. gift. If they don't like the gift, they might fuck up your entire city. <laughs> Even if they do like the gift and they, they haven't like killed people in a while, they might fuck up the whole city. <laughs> At least they're consistent, man. You know, like you got to give yeah. them that. Like the problem, <laughs> the, 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 the probability is they're going to fuck up your city, right? You just right. prepared for that. So. Yeah. Um, but just to move it along in this scene, basically we get this funny exchange with Daenerys where she's basically left to die in the desert before Zaros on Daxos cuts his hand and swears uh, that he some will fucking he ritual. Will, yeah. yeah. And like basically will vouch for Danny and her right. people to enter the great city of Karth. And, uh, you know, not be in the Garden of Bones no more. Right. The Garden of Bones. That's so metal. I'm sorry. It's like a Neil mm. Gaiman fucking setting or something. It's pretty badass. Right. Um, okay. So how about this? We spent a lot of time over there. Let's, let's, jump to, uh, let's jump to King's Landing very quickly, if you don't Oof, mind. Some rough stuff here. Well, because, again, they give you the breadcrumbs of the fucking piece of shit sadist that uh, Joffrey is and will be. And uh, it's not great. I mean, unless I'm wrong, isn't, this is the episode where it starts off where he's like, fucking pissed off at sansa right he like is going to have her yeah. fucking hurt dude like really he's not just gonna hurt. have her hurt he's gonna have Marin trent do it right he's gonna have her stripped in the throne room right and beaten like terribly yeah mm-hmm. in front of onlookers in front right. of the court my like, mother insists that i keep you alive yeah, yeah. that's the only reason he's not straight killing her yeah he, and and again th- to be clear sansa is still like due to be wed to this motherfucker right like this is but see, and this well this brings us to the scene because this, this is about to get really bad fucking white knight himself Tyrion shows up like what is this yeah, this? yeah. And immediately kind of like rectifies the whole situation tender moment where he like covers her and uh, he ushers right. her out and joffrey's like oh what are you doing and um, she's to be your wife <laughs> have you no yeah. honor like it's a great scene but but going out of that as they're about to leave the fucking throne room she's like uh, Lady Sansa, said, would you like to uh, like get out of this? It's okay. Be honest. And she's yeah. like, I will serve. I'll do my duty. I'll serve my Joffrey. Lady Stark, you may survive us yet. Right. Um, okay. A little bit of a false note, but I'll, I'll take it. Like, I'll accept yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like um, we as the audience got it already. We yeah. didn't need and a character to say it. Before that moment, I do, do just want to briefly say, like, there is this great moment where, like, Tyrion walks in with Bronn and Meryn Trance, like, the king is telling me to fucking do this yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, the threat. Yeah, he's like, that was not yeah. a threat. I'm educating my nephew. And he's just yeah. like, if he speaks again, Bronn, kill him. That was a threat. <laughs> See the difference? Yeah, uh, it's so good. Wonderful. Um, yeah, God damn it, Tyrion. Uh, so, do, you, do you think Martin like, just really loved this character? And he's like, listen, we got to give him victories early. He's, like, no, dude, he's literally said that like Tyrion, he loves him so much. He's the only character he can't bring himself to kill yet. If ever. Or ever, yeah. I hope. God, yeah. please. I will boycott the show if yeah. Tyrion dies, man. Because Yeah, no. Um, Tyr- Tyrion's great. And I want to get into some differences between book and show Tyrion in the back half of the season. Some pretty important sure, shit. Sure, that'd be but, great. Um, 
but while we're still here um so obviously he has a fucking problem he wants to hurt people he's weird like that um it's his name day still so they give him the fucking he gets some horrors basically right like he takes him to his chambers and who's the redhead that uh, theon really loves from back in winterfell do you remember her name ah shit it's not rosalind is it Roz? I think it is Roz. Yeah, it totally is. Okay, yeah, Roz. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cuz okay. she is not a character in the books. This is oh, another completely. invention of the show. Okay, cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Right on. Um so, you know, uh, she's in Joffrey's room with another uh prostitute whatever blah 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 and again a gift on his name day like essentially to get this guy laid. Maybe that's all he needs and he'll stop being a piece of shit. Right. Yeah, Bronn literally says like can't hurt to get the poison out. <laughs> fucking brought is a simple man okay like he knows he gets it there's like home remedies for everything yeah. you know, boys but, at that age <laughs> flogging women in the fucking court well see and that's the fucking problem like so we're sitting in a situation where like instead of getting laid he is now like hit her like he's just so turned on by fucking people being in pain it's it's fucking it's really sociopathic it's like the creepiest shit in the world like he right. would kill animals if we could see that and instead he doesn't do that he skips right past animals at times but yeah so we get this whole fucking scene where uh, essentially he's getting Roz to, to physically it starts off like sexy i guess kind of hitting but very quickly becomes right very abusive and very fucked up and the woman's begging for it not to happen and again what's that fucking line he's like if my lord if uh, your grace if your uncle finds out like i want my uncle to find out you know what i mean like yeah fucked up bro like yeah yeah this is like him going from like sniveling fucking cunt shit to like being a full-blown monster yeah from trust fund baby to patrick bateman man like basically but but again important distinction here he never really inflicts violence by his own hand he's too much of a fucking pussy to do that yeah it's always someone else at his command and in this case he's forcing one prostitute to do unspeakable shit to another right yeah it's fucked and up, like man. imagine the situation like just thinking about like being a prostitute back then like the king's ordering you to do shit like you right. have no power Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, because like prostitutes already in like the real world are already a lot of the times powerless and fucked yeah. over. And then like, so they put, put like a totalitarian authority into the mix. Yeah. It's the, real... That power dynamic is whoa, <sighs> fucking. Yeah. Me too would too not crazy. be kind to Joffrey is all I'm saying. <laughs> like, obviously, but <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be great for him. <laughs> Listen, let's jump to some, to some really, uh, you know, meaty parts of this, which is that, you know, Renly and Stannis are on this, this collision course of uh, Stannis thinks that he's the rightful heir, which sort of he is if Gendry yeah. isn't around, right? Renly doesn't have a legal claim to the throne. He just thinks he'd be a better king. And by, and by all Every evidence account. in the show, yes. yeah, he would be. He's fairer, he's kinder. This is, this is a wonderful scene because, yeah. first of all, I like the Catlins just like, if you were my boys, I'd wring your necks and, and mm-hmm. like, leave you in a room. that's going to solve this. That's <laughs> so adorable. Like, yeah. Just put him in a corner, make him say, I love you, brother. I love you, brother. What the fuck are you talking? This is war, Catlin. Yeah, like, get out, bitch. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, but, yeah. you know, you get this whole kind of standoff and Renly even says it like, you, you didn't you never wanted friends brother and a, and, a, and a fucking person without friends is like you have no claim the people don't love you and we've seen renly's people adore him they see the mm-hmm. parties that are going on and in, in, in that whole situation so it's weird that they don't really come to anything um renly just kind of throwing shots at melisandre who's over there and he's basically the ultimatum is like i'll give you till dawn 
you bend the knee, it'll all be chill. I'll even, I'll even name you my heir until I have a son. You know what I mean? But like right. clearly not even giving any mind or real thought to Renly being a legitimate person that he could respect. He, Stannis is, is resolute. He's gone down this path and he's going to see it out that way. There's no compromise. All right. Yeah. Um, just one thing to note, like Stannis, as we go along, this is the guy that Ned Stark uh, picked. Um, <laughs> well, he says that. He does say, like, Catelyn, your, your husband picked me, and it's weird to see you on the other side over there. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Ned... Ned, uh, Ned was about the honor. He clearly wasn't... Yeah. <laughs> honor take be a damned, beat, Ned. Ned. Have you take seen Take a Stannis? fucking beat. <laughs> yeah. Talk to him for five minutes. You do not want this guy on the fucking Iron Throne. <laughs> you did but, a shitty interview process, Ned. <laughs> You're supposed to tie at least the phone interview, you know? Like, I'm sure Stannis his crazy... block of hair... <laughs> I'm sure his crazy ass attitude would have been revealed through a raven. You know what I mean? Like, you ever like talk to someone on like email or text? And you're like, oh, that motherfucker is crazy. Like, the same thing would happen via raven, and it's just like you didn't talk to him for a fucking minute. You fucked up, Ned. Um, yeah. Um, but the but last anyways, like he gives him until dawn, Renly right. until dawn to surrender or join forces or whatever. Right. Um, and Renly's like, ah, oh, Renly, I'm not gonna do that. Um. Let's see. What do you want to move on to next year? Well, we can just very briefly, I want to talk about that. It's, it's uh, Rob. It's the same thing with Roose Bolton, but Rob meets his fucking future wife. And I just wanted to mention that before we went too far. Uh, she's from Volantis. She's over there being like Florence Nightingale, fucking helping soldiers right. from each side or whatever. But she's giving important Rob to mad shit in that scene. What's up? She's giving Rob mad shit in that scene. Well, she doesn't give a fuck. She's from Volantis, man. She don't, she don't recognize his authority. Like She's exactly. here to help people, man. And so Rob, is, Rob is loving it low-key. Right. This is like the first person who's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, he think. digs it. He likes what he can't have, obviously. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. it's a whole thing. Rob. But again, this is like, okay, you're brilliant. Like, maybe not brilliant, but you have a, you have a knack for this. You have a, you have a war mind. People, your enemies are fucking giving you props. And mm-hmm. already your dick is leading you astray, guy. Like, this is yeah. the, the first cautionary tale. It's interesting that no one else is really led astray by that, at least that we know of in the greater lore, right? Right. So it's, it really uh, makes you wonder if he would have been as led astray if the phrase weren't known for being uh, monster people. <laughs> right. <laughs> That was the first misstep, right? Like, like if they were the sexiest people. house on the continent, he would probably be like, eh, yeah, that's fine, but I got to right. marry the Frey girl. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Not the fucking hags with fucking, <laughs> what's his face? God damn it. Um, guy from okay. Harry Potter. But uh, let's, talk, anyway. let's talk really quickly because I want to talk about a couple of things that you actually sort of brought up to me, um, which is Littlefinger goes to the front lines. Uh, mm-hmm for a couple of reasons really i think to return the bones of ned stark which is like a peace offering of sorts to catlin oh this scene yeah fucked up right um yeah you want to tackle that or do you want to talk to the, tackle the marjorie scene first well i want to tackle the catlin scene first because uh help, help me out here in, in one scene um Littlefinger tries a lot of things it's a lot yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to walk us through this because it's kind of like hard a, to piece together. Yeah, he's, he's like, like a Swiss Army knife. Of he's like simultaneously like being like, "I'm so sorry, Catelyn," and "Hey, you want to like get married? <laughs> want to hook up? Like, what's up?" Uh, and "Hey, here's the corpse of your husband." There's no effort. How did he act, think like, that was gonna go? Like the decaying fucking body <laughs> of her previous husband to get. Yeah, I, br- I brought your husband's body in a fucking trunk. You know where most people keep books. Anyway, you want a bang later? What's up? He does. It, is, it seems like he's, his message is muddled at best. For a guy who's so concise, he really went off the teleprompter on this one. Catelyn really throws him off, man. 
Oh, right away. Again, and the thing is, I like Catelyn a lot. Like, rewatching this, I do like her. I mean, she has some missteps and shit like that. But generally speaking, like, I think Brienne says it in the next episode. Like, you have, you have courage. Maybe not <laughs> a knight's courage, but... <laughs> but a, a woman's courage, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> Which, when I heard, I was just <laughs> like, holy shit, shots fired at women in this world, right? I guess. Like... And again, it's a story about being prescriptive versus descriptive. I've had this conversation a lot. Like people think Game of Thrones is sexist and I'm not a woman, so I can't 100% say, no, it's not sexist. But I always say that it's, a, it's more an idea of a world that's being descriptive of how the world was back in the 1500 Middle Ages, whatever the fuck, you know, of that yeah. time of women's status. I, I mean, yeah, th- this is a whole other conversation and I don't want to get too into it, but we can definitely sure. have this conversation soon. Um, but like the show's use of what's called sex position and some of its treatment of kind of glib treatment of rape um, is yeah. not great. Fucking it's problematic. Great look. Yeah. But I would say that its characterization of women, is, it's just as deep and three-dimensional as it is for the men. Well, that was what I was going to say. Bad things are happening to women, but the characters that we're supposed to be following are often very fully realized. Yeah, and to me, like, when I hear strong female character, there's this misconception that that's like, oh, like, a literally physically strong, you know, it's Trinity from the Matrix or something. Right. To me, a strong female character is a woman who is a three-dimensional human being that isn't there at the service of the men in the story as either, like, an instigation or like, oh, the princess got captured and I got to rescue her. for someone else. Yeah. yeah. You've got like a woman like Cersei. You've got women like Catelyn. Like you could keep going. And these are all people you fully understand because right. they're written as people. So right. I, I reject the whole sexism thing as a whole, but I see some complaints. No, for sure. No, I mean, yeah. women are props a lot of the times in the show, but the women's, as we'll get into it, this is a conversation yeah. for another podcast, but I'm glad that we, we broached it. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that Littlefinger does in the scene after he is very quickly rejected by knife, by the way, like she had a fucking shank ready to go on this motherfucker, mm-hmm. uh, is we have a conversation with uh, Marjorie tyrell and Littlefinger, and a lot of things get brought up here again this is this is really remember what i was talking about like how the dialogue is like perfect like not everyone can have like a one-up men moment this was the moment that i was really talking about because even marjorie marjorie fucking knows what's up man she can play the game like with anybody so right. there's a whole scene where Littlefinger is essentially alluding to the fact that like uh why do you have a different tent not our tent your tent like mm-hmm. i guess the king snores right like something like uh, beating around a bush and we know because we saw it in season one in, in the, the the line in the wolf episode where he essentially calls out Renly. He's just like, yo, you're fucking knight. I know you're fucking him. Like, right. like he calls it out. So it's not and this to be fair. This knight is Marjorie's brother. Loris. Loris. Yeah. The, the Tyrells are one of the richest families in Westeros. And uh, she is married to Renly and deeply wants to be queen. Right. Um, but this scene really establishes Marjorie for the first time as a player. Uh, she can spar with Littlefinger with just a few sentences and make him stop in his tracks. Um, And that really kind of tells you like going forward who this character is and what happens when she's put in the mix with all these vipers and fucking, you know, awful people. And just be clear, because we missed it an episode back, but uh, when they were trying to consummate their their you know new yeah. engagement or whatever, she is very much aware that of Renly's proclivities yeah. and with whom he likes to do those proclivities. Yeah, she's and, like, I can bring in my brother if you want. want. Yeah. If that would I help. Can turn like, around. You can just pretend I'm him. <laughs> like we can do it. Completely accommodating. Yeah. Which is like, what a what a fucking trooper. What a good queen, uh, man. But again, wants, she just wants you know, she wants the she air. Wants to consummate. Like, yeah. She wants to be the fucking queen, and uh, you got to respect uh, the the way she plays the game yeah. 
So uh, I liked her. I liked her a whole bunch. And um, she doesn't best the little finger, but he certainly does not best her. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, I exactly. would call it a draw, which is really yeah. impressive for mm-hmm. someone we didn't know was supposed to do that. Um, okay, so now we get into some weird shit. Quickly, I just want to say this episode does not have Cersei and does not have John, and it is. It, it, I kind of feel it. It's weird that we didn't we didn't go yeah. to those places. This season we start doing the jumping around uh, right. between episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the, the the finale of this is is Davos and Stannis kind of talking to one another, and he's like, and again we get a little bit more exposition about Davos's past, which is like, you know, you you still run with the the criminal element, right? You still know how to do some sailing and and smuggling and blah blah blah. blah. We can get shit past people, and so the whole idea is that he is entrusting Davos to take Melisandre. Uh, on to to shore somewhere right in this right. weird fucking place um and the, he is never to speak of it and is never to bring it up again and blah 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 blah. and so he does it because davos is a very honorable person um and first of all the hubris on melisandre who's just like you want me don't you said davos like just immediately trying to say like right. she's this object of desire he didn't deny it but i also right. don't think any part of davos wants that shit so it's a little weird yeah. uh he, he gets her on to shore they go into this like little cave part of whatever and she kind of reveals again what i'm saying about there are things that happen where you're like okay so i guess this lord of light guy's real right she's talking about him the light gets bigger for a second um you know i assume that we live in a world where everyone's uh god gestation period is the same so she wasn't pregnant yesterday but now she's fully fucking pregnant showing it's like the day after she's bang stannis exactly so already like we're in some magical realm bullshit and Mm -hmm. uh this kind of devolves into a a, well not devolves it it just leads into a scene where she births a shadow creature the the, you know the the the, the fruit of stannis i guess in a fucked up shadow world and And, it ends um, with that dude it's fucked up well in much in the way that we talked about like the visual language of television can sometimes be superior with that scene with the you know the small council and Tyrion, um, we get kind of a reverse situation here because uh, in the books, this is uh, told from Davos's perspective and it is completely um, beguiling and strange and horrifying to him. Really? And it's really communicated in like a very uh, wonderful way that the show doesn't quite reach, like it doesn't quite reach the horror of it, right. the strangeness of it. But it is definitely the first time in the show where we really get a sense of how weird shit can get. Um, yeah, man. Sure. We should also bring up re- really quickly in this episode, doesn't uh, Tyrion find out that um, uh, Cersei is having a little incestuous affair with fucking Lancel of That's all people? right. And, 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 and then, gets him into his employ, right? Yeah, basically. to basically spy on Cersei so he can always know what she's up to. Right. Smart fucking thinking on Tyrion's part. Picked up a couple of pointers from his friend, the spider, it seems, you know, yeah, like get some exactly. people to give you some intel. So yeah, that's actually yeah. a really good catch. Thank you, Max. Uh, so that brings us to episode five, which is going to be the final episode we talk about tonight. Um, and we're going to end the uh, episode on this one, which is episode five, the ghosts of Heron Hall. Dude, so episode five wastes no fucking time from the ending of episode four, Max, because we have this whole scene where Renly is, is kind of talking with Catelyn and, and they're going through her, you know, like the, she's like, swear it to me. Or he's like, swear it to me. And he's like, my son does have, has no desire to take the Iron Throne. You, have, you don't have to worry about that. Like, we just want a free and independent North. And he sort of is like, all right, like, well, we're not really enemies, you know? Like, yeah. So I guess this is chill. And before we can really get to any kind of level of comfort, oh, this arrangement's been struck. Yeah, this big blow against the Lannisters, right? And in, the, in mm-hmm. the war to come, uh, and Stannis for that matter. 
uh, the this fucking shadow creature comes out of nowhere. The shadow creature yeah. at the end of that episode fucking in the stabs shape him. of Stannis Baratheon. And here's the thing: only people in the room, Catelyn Stark and uh, and Brienne, Brienne of Tarth, yeah. Which you said that she's like clearly in love with him, and I'm like, well, I didn't feel like it was it was necessarily manifested at least plain as day. She didn't look at the camera and say, "I'm in love with Renly Baratheon." Yet in this right. moment, you get it. There's uh, that 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 yell that moan that's the glutteral fucking primal yeah. scream of loss like she's just holding him in fuck, her arms dude, i was and not in, ready for that yeah. i've seen it before <laughs> and in in one stroke uh one of the five kings in this war gone is taken out of the game and this has a lot of major implications because what you find out is the bannermen who are all fucking rallying around uh renly like they ain't really loyal as soon as stannis comes up they're gonna be like we're gonna be with you so right. So this causes a big power void. Number one, Catelyn and Brienne have to fucking flee because even though they didn't do it, what like you know what's the, the what's the alternative here? There's no other person like so. People right. already think that Brienne did it. She had to kill two knights as it happened, so they get the fuck out of there. Same thing happens with Marjorie and Loras. They have to kind of you know figure out like you got you got to go. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the biggest thing. In two consecutive scenes, we have this whole idea of you can't avenge someone if you're dead live to fight another day uh catelyn says that to brienne and i believe marjorie says it to loris who again loris is actually in love with renly so he's heartbroken by this yeah um and i think and it's he's a, not just that but he's furious too oh because he knows stannis was responsible for this in some um, way in some way right because they're yeah. like brienne was the only person it's like you and i both fucking know brienne didn't do that shit you know what i mean right. like she's too honorable a person we we trusted her with his life and that's saying right. something because, again, he got bested in that tournament. That's how he became, you know, uh, associated with Renly to begin with is they had that, like, sparring match and Loras was bested. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really big scene. It shows that Loras isn't some petty motherfucker. In that right. same scene, Marjorie and Littlefinger see each other playing. I don't want to be a queen. I want to be the queen, right? right. Like, so now the wheels are turning with Littlefinger setting up um, what's to come, which is right. that Marjorie... Uh, might actually be a pretty advantageous get um, absolutely for the Lannisters and for yeah. the realm because uh, the Tyrells again they have the crops they have the food to last us the second time. richest people in the land yeah, yeah. so exactly. it's like it's a huge boon to have that and we've already said like we can outspend them five to one as we say a lot which is the next scene which is uh Tyrion I love this fucking scene Tyrion and Cersei kind of kind of going at it a little bit and they're and he's trying to be like we need to take this seriously okay uh, at some point, he says some pithy one-liner, and Cersei doesn't like that. And so she's like, oh, you're always over there with your schemes and your plots. Schemes and plots are the same thing. Anyway. <laughs> no, sorry. That's my favorite line of the whole episode. And I'm just like, this is not the time, Tyrion. Yes, you're right. But like, let's yeah. stay on task. And I, I really love that Cersei, at this point in the show, like, Jamie has been out of the picture for a while now. She's right. resorting to banging fucking Lancel. She's drinking wine in every scene. Every scene we see her in, she's getting drunker. Right. Like, this is Cersei. Well, I thought it was really interesting is when we watched season one, it was like, oh, she was like kind of restrained. She's still doing the proper thing that yeah. really people are supposed to do Cer all Cersei gone by is, yeah she's just a fucking drunken mess <laughs> fucking her cousin she's already been accused of fucking her fucking brother yeah. but now fucking her cousin out in the her plane. son has threatened to kill her and is a fucking psychopath sitting on the throne um, yeah it's a whole fucking thing she's it's responsible not, for all of this <laughs> all of it Really, she can't blame anyone for the misfortune she's gonna find herself <laughs> and, in and now the motherfucker that fucking killed her mother to come into the world 
has more power than she does. It's been a not good, terrible, no, no good, bad day for for bad year for fucking Cersei. It's not good. <laughs> she can't even get out an insult before she gets bested and it's turned against her. Like Jesus Christ. Anyway, this is the source of most of the comedy. It's just how bad <laughs> Cersei is getting fucked over here. We cut to Stannis and Davos, and I love this scene because Stannis and Davos, Davos is essentially trying to have the come to Jesus talk. He's like, listen you don't know what i saw <laughs> like and 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 all these other people they're they 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 think that she's manipulating you and she whispers into your ear and she's really calling the shots and stannis is like well, what do you think which is a very important thing because i do think stannis genuinely gives a fuck what davos thinks not yeah. enough to like listen to him but He's enough not to- so far gone to be like oh here's he whatever right. yeah and then i think what davos responds is like you won all of these people from Renly. Do not lose her to her. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some extent of that, which is, again, not listening, but at least still trying to get some of the counsel from him. And I believe in the same scene, he appoints him like the, the commander of the fleet, the Navy or something like that. Yeah. Davos is just like, listen, man, I've spent my whole career avoiding motherfuckers, like not actively going towards them where they know I'm coming. And, and again, it's just like this great faith that Stannis does have in Davos. It's, that's a bromance that I wish end, ends better, but like it's yeah. beautiful at times because you can tell that they genuinely fucking care about each other. Yeah, and not just that, but just like the mutual respect there for of sure. Course. Yeah, and man. the fact that they can be brutally honest with each other. Up until um, they can't. Right, which, which is so fucking yeah. tragic. The show has a lot of those moments where people are very much, uh, you know, ideologically on the same wavelength until they just aren't the smallest schism and it just causes this yeah. huge rift. It's very sad. Huge rift, yeah. Um, back in King's Landing, Tyrion is, is walking around in, with, amongst the common people. And what I like about this, I talked about this a little bit earlier, right, where, where Cersei's talking about, let's just lock the peasants out of the fucking city, right? Now we're walking through the, where the commoners are and there are people straight up talking shit about the crown, man. Straight up saying like, yeah, yeah. we know Cersei's fucking Jamie, and you expected like the fruit not to be fucking rotten. We have a rotten yeah. king. Like trees in his fucking and vocabulary. Dancing to the tune of a twisted demon monkey. Oh, and he does like, have crazy. goes, oh, he has a way with words. And he's like, he's talking about you. What's a demon monkey? Yeah, and so the point, and this is very interesting, though, because I like this, and this is a really great theme. You and I, the audience, we're witnessing it from fucking, you know, the bird's eye view. Tyrion's killing it, dog. And he's doing so many good things for the betterment of the realm. However, yeah. it doesn't stop the people talking, right? It doesn't right. stop the, the realm doesn't thinking. know that. They just see this this impish creature and this evil king born of incest, right. you know. Uh, and it also goes to highlight that King's Landing is stricken with poverty. Um, right. The capital of this great continent um, can't even support its own people. Right. Yeah, the high high fucked up one percent problem here. It's about to get a lot worse. With Absolutely, man. On the on the edges. Yeah. Um, let's cut to Theon very quickly. He's been given a command, and not an important one, mind you, just to go rape and pillage some small fishing towns. And uh, yeah. this guy's the Rodney Dangerfield of Westeros. No respect. No one's given him any play. Like people are being willfully disobedient at that, which is interesting. <laughs> Did you like the visual of Rodney Dangerfield being? from the iron islands <laughs> i've been quietly laughing since you said that yeah no just like literally rodney dangerfield like right. 90 year old rodney dangerfield playing this role the entire time so Jesus much better Christ. it's wonderful uh, forget what i said about alfie allen <laughs> trash he's garbage he could be replaced but uh, dead but <laughs> Jesus Christ. Theon is, is, I don't know, I like that scene because there, it, there's a lot of wheels turning, right? Which is, uh, people don't give a fuck about him, they ain't giving him no play. His first mate, though, 
is smart enough to be simultaneously supportive and also kind of whispering in his ear about how to do shit. Right. His first mate also played by the guy from The Witch. That totally. Oh, my God. That's totally him. I was like, who the fuck is this guy, man? Yeah. The Witch is great because it's got not one, but two Two. people. They never hung out. So they must have been like, what else else have you done? He's like, Game of Thrones. What? No, me too. Like they had a whole bonding experience over it. Um, But so that seems really good because basically what happens is he's like, how am I supposed to earn my fucking keep, my respect, my honor if I'm only given these small fucking fishing towns? And so they decide to go after. It's like, you're not. Yeah. (laughs) I love how fucking fucking pithy this guy is. He's sassy as fuck, man. Like, he's like, you're not going to. So, you know, use your fucking. And and his sister Yara is strutting around, throwing it in his face at all times. Yeah. yeah, Like my men would wait a year on deck if I told them to. (laughs) And his men aren't even like acknowledging his presence. Yeah. They're already on the boat and he's like not even there yet. Yeah. Love it so much. But basically the idea is we'll attack, what is it, like Tor- Torian Square? I, I don't remember what it's called, but it's this place in the north where mm-hmm. the whole idea is, and, and, and you can see fucking Theon working it out in real time. Like, it would make no sense to take that because if we take that, then we, could only, we wouldn't be able to hold it. The, Landis- or the Starks would immediately send their bannermen to take it back which in a weakened state already kind of, they have this eureka, like, ah, moment where yeah. they're like, okay, this is how we can earn favor and honor. And they're lar- uh, the, right. hatching the larger plan. Um, because but- his father was previously embarrassed by the Starks and subjugated, which is uh, pretty bad for an Ironborn. To go right. through. So he's like, yeah, I'll take that back. The Ironborn have some fucked up egos, you know, yeah, they can't take an L as they say, nice. but when you live um, uh, on the sea, you're, <laughs> seems pretty they're fucking pirates man they got like fucking rope uh rope ladders going all the way across like no you know what i'm talking about like what is a rope bridge like a rope bridge like by the way not the most efficient like we've seen storms and shit happen later on like not a good way to go between buildings (laughs) but i don't want to shit on ironborn architecture here just saying inefficient um let's cut to heron hall because this is where a lot of fucking amazing little subtle things happen uh, Tywin is is having his war council essentially in the halls mm-hmm. of Arenal, and he's sitting there, kind of like going through it. And again, mutual respect. He does. Rob Stark is an enemy of his, but he respects right. the fuck out of him. Yeah, he's like this boy has won every battle he's fought. Yeah. Right. Like, like we we, we have underestimated him for far too long. We need to start taking yeah. him serious. And Arya is taking this in all the while. Like this is right. her main line to all the information about her brother. Right. And, like, and again, it. so amazing that she has to like she's reacting without reacting at all in this scene like it's because mm-hmm. so, any outward reaction would give, maybe not give her away because cupbearer by the way cupbearer the there we go she is. <laughs> yeah Sorry, it took uh, me a full hour to remember that no you nailed it man uh Tywin doesn't know who are well he knows who Arya Stark is he doesn't know what she looks like he's never met her so he's not in danger in that way but again he's already a little suspicious of her not in a yeah. bad way but just knows that there's more than what's been going on here there's she's a not wonder- some peasant yeah she's well, well there's a wonderful scene we're right in the middle of it he's like you girl where are you from and she she you know lies and, and says a house and what i love this too by the way because we didn't see this detail with her or we kind of did in season one when bran is learning all his sigils or sigils and shit like that right mm-hmm. and like again just to emasculate her brother like because she did it with the arrow in the first season and also the fucking houses like she knew all the lords and shit right. but she didn't know this one and she kind of yeah. got caught in a lie but it worked to her favor in, in a way you know what i mean mm-hmm. And so, again, it's just this whole idea of, like, Tywin, for whatever reason, sort of listening 
and taking not advice, but like more than he takes from pretty much anyone else in the show, uh, like an interest in this little girl and what she has to fucking say. And she's obviously smarter. And we see that more in the back half of the season. Right. Um, but I love that it starts here. And again, I just yeah. like how like Tywin Lannister is just a down motherfucker, man. I don't know. Like I respect him. He's, he's pragmatic and I don't always agree with him. He's ruthlessly efficient. But yeah. I respect him. No, this is just a little sliver of humanity um, that we get. And like just a little bit of, I don't want to call it tenderness, but like I said, like the softer side of Tywin is what comes through here. And right. also just the, I don't know, there's this weird tension in their scenes where she wants to kill him. But at the same time, like this is like, I don't know, kind of a connection she's forming with this right. man. Um, and we start to kind of get into that push pull in, in Arya herself, where like maybe the world isn't as cut and dry as she thinks it is. Right. Yeah. No, know. it's really, I mean, and that's something we see kind of repeated in her arc, to be fair, with other yeah. characters. Not all of them, mind you, but a couple yeah. of them that are, that are on her list, she has these connections with, and it's a little bit harder than to just, you know, right. knife, so to speak. Um, Still in Heron Hall, we get the introduction of Jock and Hagar being like, "Listen, you saved uh, the red, de- the red god, right?" Again, more yeah. religion. I just, I'm so in love with all the yeah. various religions. But you, uh, the red, the red god was due for three deaths, and you saved me and two other people. So I grant you three deaths, and all you have to do is give me a name, and the man will take care of it. So I love that fucking shit. Again, a little interesting because maybe she has to test the theory first because she has to give him like someone else's name, but why not say Tywin immediately? If not, because she's sort of conflicted on this fucking guy. You know what I mean? Like she heard him talking at least admirably about her brother. She's shown nothing but respect and kindness to her. So it's like hard for her to demonize him the way that it would be easy to just be like, Oh, the Lannisters are evil. You know? Yeah. I think it's a really subtle and fucking nuanced thing. Cause he's a human being to her. Um, but yeah, so basically we find out Jock and Agar is like, hey, uh, you saved three lives. So in his right. twisted religion, you got to take three more. Right. Um, so no, no life saving for this guy. Um, it's always a cost. Let's jump because I have two points I want to make, which I'm going to say is this, that this whole episode is a Chekhov's gun uh, for the rest of the season. And it's certain mm-hmm. storylines for sure. I'm talking about the world. That's one of them. And let's jump to that one really quickly if you want to. Yeah, That's not sure. a problem. But yeah, so um, what we find out is that there are 7,000. great 000... comedy scene, by the way. Well, it's amazing. <laughs> Bron and the old guy. like Bron and the old guy just bickering. <laughs> I don't know who plays that old guy. He has a moment in episode nine that is like made me laugh way harder than it should have. And we'll get to that. No, dude, but, it's, yeah. it's that scene is so great because he's just like, you would never talk such drivel if Aegon Targaryen was alive. Right. He loved the Mad King because he let him make all the wildfire he wanted. This guy loves right. making wildfire so much. And so um, what we find out is that there is 7,811 <laughs> fucking like vases or whatever, like, like yeah. pots of fucking wildfire which brown's just like this is not this is not good <laughs> it's very volatile yeah. and this you is think enough Tyrion, to level the entire city well you think yeah. Tyrion's like you're right this is really bad <laughs> now yeah. you're making it for me <laughs> like this would yeah. be like like the movie like if this was any other movie it would have tightened in a close-up like you know mm-hmm. evil ominous fucking music would have started playing like right because this it. is the same thing that the mad king was doing he was having them make wildfire and um to basically detonate it under the city and right. destroy the city before the baratheons could take control of it um now cersei is having them make the same thing right. uh, to do the same thing and it's now Tyrion is saying hey you're making it for me now and you're like 
but the, this specific and i love that shot of Tyrion um with like the long yeah the hallways hall yeah and that kind of like hero angle it's so good and then our just a rat squealing it was like the yeah. departed or something like it was fucking <laughs> cool but so that that episode so that specific arc that yeah obviously a Chekhov's gun for later this season but not just this mm. season which is what i love about it they set this up and they pay it off well later. But the other scene is beyond the wall. We're at the Fist of the First Men, which again, just world building stuff. First Men, I like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, we will, why, why were they here? I think they were trying to get away from something. Maybe they didn't do it. Uh, but another thing, Chekhov's gunning it. We hear about the horns, like mm -hmm. one for Ranger, two for Wildlings, and, and then Sam, three for White Wolkas. <laughs> how do you know? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, they're so immediately angry. Like, what are you talking about? Shut up. And he's like, I read it in a book. Of course, of course you did, you, you fat cunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, but again, it's just like, yeah. I like this guy, man. And, and they're also making fun of him for being in love the whole time. He's like, oh, Gilly right. would love it here. And they're like, fucking pussy. Right. Nothing right. nothing more sickening than a man in love. Um, yeah, this is Dolores Ed, by the way, who we've never talked about, but a great character in the books and really well played here. He's right. just the dude with like the long oh he's great he's, yeah, he's one wonderful. of the best parts of that whole fucking arc wherever john yeah. is and he is yeah. he's wonderful. He, he doesn't do anything consequential enough yet to bring him up but i did just want to introduce that he is a pretty he's there player he exists for the Night's Watch. Watch. yeah um, um back in the east let's cut over there uh we safely inside the walls of karth at this point danny is we get a little show-off moment with like dracaris and you see like little baby dragon doing some shit and I, I don't know. I, just, I love it. Don't fucking classic <laughs> Amelia Clark impression, by the way. You nailed... Um, I, I nailed that shit. Go fuck you yourself. Did? No, I'm saying you did. I'm actually giving you a compliment. I can never um, tell because you're just a fucking wily asshole all the time that I can never tell when you're being sincere. This is, this is my fucking curse. Seriously. Uh, different subject for a different time. <laughs> uh, all right, my bad. Let's let's move it along. So in Karth, uh, first of all, an argument about whether she's a princess or a Khaleesi, you can already start to see the kind of schism between like the world in which she was married off into and that she assumed and took over versus right. like this new different role power structures. Play. Which one is she a part of? Absolutely, she and you can already really see know. it becoming a problem, which I think is very interesting. You see some some seeds of discontent. Um, right. Also in the party because they're they you know they're all going out i love this party because it's such a fucking comedy scene the dothraki are just like casing the joint basically yeah. like, she's like she's like having a conversation and just trying to be civil and she's like oh god damn it excuse me i've I'll gotta right go back. do something and they're like immediately just trying to pry jewels off of a fucking thing and like, jorah hormon being super helpful is just like well, Khaleesi, they're trying to see how much gold they could carry. Uh, but I love Jerry about it. thinks they could carry this much, but he says he's stupid. It's like, <laughs> why aren't you stopping them? Yeah, you speak the language, guy. What are you doing? What I love about that scene, man, is just that they're, they're being like, well, of course we would never take a Khaleesi until we leave. And when we leave, we take it. Like, it's like, it's not <laughs> an issue like, of when. No. <laughs> it's an issue of you don't, you don't rob your hosts. But I love that. You know, it's still, yeah. it's, again, it's, it's showing that divide between. Which is like, also a great setup and payoff uh, at the very end of this season. Um, right. We'll talk about later. Yeah, well, which we'll get there. Oh, Sorry, I said we said yeah. that a bunch. Like, let's take a yeah. drink every time one of us says that. But um, also, again, very quickly, um, more magic. We see, I think his name is Piat Pace. I, I don't know if I said that right, but he's the creepy um, charlatan. Yeah, Piapri. What's his name? Pri? I think it's Piapri. There you go. Nailed it. Piapri. Okay. Yeah. Um. Super, super goofy, creepy uh, warlock. Adjective I would have used, but I like that you'd used it. Goofy? Um, 
Yeah, because Goofy assumes that he's like cute, like he's a Mr. Bean character. Like instead, man. he's fucking just weird, man. He's like, yeah, no, he's he's immediately just unsettling. He has these blue lips, and he belongs to this order. He's one of the thirteen and belongs to this order in the House of the Undying of just right. these warlocks who, as Zaro's own Doxos describes it, reads a bunch of dusty books and drinks shade of the evening. Which I wanted to ask, lips you. blue and their minds soft. So is it just like a hallucinogen? That's just it's like some nondescript hallucinogen. There's debate um, because there is a Greyjoy that is not really fully explored in the show that also drinks it. Um, okay. That and there's this belief that it connects you to some higher spiritual level of consciousness. So like right. you could compare it to like ayahuasca or something like that. Like it's okay. this very like crazy thing. Um, sure. But the thinking is that it basically separates you from reality. You're not living in the same world that everybody else is. It's working, man. He did that fucking thing where another one of them showed up and everyone, yeah. like, it was a fucking party yeah, trick. Like, everyone was like, yes. Like, yeah. Wow. Like, he hands her a jewel. He's like, stare into its depths. And now <laughs> here I am. See? Fucking goofball. Ugh, it keeps happening to him. Um, let's, <laughs> let's jump. <laughs> No, but you know, very quickly before we jump anywhere else, let's just talk about that. Even because uh, I just I love this so much for some reason. Even fuck, what's his name? Zaro? Is that Zaro? Zaro Zoan Daxo. Okay, that motherfucker. Even he is like, okay, your guy is like super friend zone guy, <laughs> like talking shit about Jora, and yeah. then you know, in this scene, he kind of offers her uh, like it's such a fucking power move he takes her to a vault like an impenetrable vault but doesn't open the vault (laughs) right it's a badass move he's like the only key is this one you know what i mean and then Mm -hmm. basically tries to coerce her saying like listen you marry me i'll give you whatever you want i'll give you them seven she's like but i don't love you and he's like i already married for love yeah she died it sucked i'm i'm marrying for something else now Right. And, you know, Khaleesi's kind of in the same position. Like, she already, well, not that she married for love, but she had a great love. Right. And that love died. Now it's about so practicality, like, man. Yeah, like, and, like, she wants fucking ships and an army. She wants to be able to take back Westeros. So, right. like, maybe this is an option for her. You could see why she would consider it. No, dude. I mean, uh, it, for sure. And it, it's interesting that in the following scene with Jorah, clearly that conversation has gotten to her a bit. Because mm-hmm. he's trying to explain, and we talked about this before, it's just like, I know that you think that the opportunity you have now is the only opportunity you'll get, but it's not. And she doesn't even really listen to that because she's too caught up in like, well, what do you really want from me, Jorah? Like, is your right. shit ain't altruistic. Like, what do you want? You know what I mean? Yeah. And there, God, there's that scene. Listen, that dude's a great actor. What's his name? Ian here? I don't know. Ian something. He's great. Yeah. But the guy who plays Jorah. But he's just like, there are times where I look at you and I can't even believe you exist. And I'm like, oh. Like, yeah. because I don't think it's purely a love thing. I think he really means it. He's just been, he's been surrounded by people doing really terrible things always. And his that line right. is like the idea that someone who could rule and who should rule, like that's, that's amazing. Like that's worth fighting he's for. He's found the first pure thing. In he's found purpose in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's really fucking pretty, man. I just like, like he, I he believes shit. in her with a religious fervor. Like it's beyond just being into her. Um, right. Yeah. And um, she's she's a little put off by it, <laughs> which is sad because again he's done nothing but be good, even though he started yeah. off horribly and you know all that. Um, there is something that there's a woman who warns him at that party, by the way, the woman who's wearing the mask, who's just like she's the mother of dragons. She needs more help than ever, you know. Kind of calls him out. She's like, I know you, Jorah Mormont, you know, and it's this whole mm-hmm. fucking thing. And so. that's the first injury. I mean, that's when we really start to realize like uh, Jorah did some 
shit. Yeah, some not good stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, all right, quickly, let's 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 wrap this up, man. On the yeah. road, Brienne and Catelyn have a moment, and they're kind of like figuring out what they're gonna do, and and Catelyn wants her to Brienne to kind of swear fealty to Rob, like understand that like Rob and Renly's enemies were the same, and like we could use right. you. Brienne and about that shit because she don't know Rob, but she kind of knows yeah. Catelyn, and so, so she like, does oh, this. Yeah, she I'll lay down my sword for you. Yeah, I got yeah. you. And she does. It's actually really fucking pretty. I actually like really, really love is. that scene because yeah. I'm like, these two kind of deserve each other. You know, I didn't know Renly enough to be like, you don't deserve a bottom bitch like this, but Brand's got your back no matter what. You know what I mean? Like, so I really, I really kind of like that. And then again, yeah. that kind of sets us forward because again, a lot of what uh, Brienne does in later seasons is very much influenced by this oath that she takes for Catelyn. So I just think it's a really pretty moment. I didn't want to gloss over it at all. Um, two more things and then we're done, man. Back in Winterfell, uh, Theon's plan has kind of uh, come to fruition. The, we see, who's the Sir Roderick? He kind of comes in and he's like, we, we don't have much to spare, but we can take 200 people. And he's like, must you take so many? Uh, who's, who's, the, who's the Meister there who says that? I forget his name. I'm sorry. Um, Meister Lewin. Lewin, exactly. And he's just like, it's a really good line because you see Bran, who is completely disinterested in being the Lord. Uh, early on is kind of uh, assuming that role being like what's the point of our bannermen protecting us if we can't even protect them you know what i mean it's a really good scene he's kind of learning how to play the game yeah. he also falls right into the fucking trap which is yeah it's like not great but it's still a growing moment for everyone involved and and even sir roderick looks at bran with such fucking warmth and uh yeah, and admiration pride. yeah pride yeah. there we go that's what i wanted mm -hmm. to say it's a really pretty moment and again it's it would be great if it wasn't undercut almost immediately by yeah. the next <laughs> episodes but um a really good scene i just wanted to bring yeah. attention to it and then the last thing let's talk about it very quickly is again early in the season we had mention of man's radar we we knew that there was this whole fucking shit going on he was a former crow now he is doing something beyond the wall trying to unify all these people and right. We finally get to kind of a place where we can lay eyes at least on the watchouts of it all. And so we realize that there's no way we're going to march, you know, 200, 400 people, how many people are beyond the wall into this place. There's too many of them. The only thing we can do is to take four or five of our best men and go in there silently. Like and an try to special forces yeah. type of deal. Yes, and fucking it's with, SEAL Team 6, man. Yeah. And, and to be clear, like this is Corrin Halfhand we're talking about, who we have not mentioned, but Corrin yes. Halfhand is this legendary ranger spends months beyond the wall always comes back and this is the man that they've met up with and who is basically like telling him like hey we gotta like get a little elite squad yeah. here we're fucked <laughs> like we, yeah we can't we're go in the way we thought we fucked. were <laughs> yeah and uh john basically convinces lord commander mormont uh to let him join this not suicide mission but kind of yeah right essentially like, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm, again I'm pretty scene. Sam yeah. is like, I'll to keep his responsibilities. <laughs> like, let's right. go out there. And and Mormont's an asshole, but in a good way. Like, hopefully you're a better ranger than a steward, motherfucker. But yeah. so yeah, it's kind of what we get as 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 you know, we're we're going into this fucking back right. half of the thing. And I just I don't know, man. It's a and really And it's just really setting up all these different pieces. Really great episode. Um, but again, yeah. much like the fifth episode of season one if we're looking at this in the arc of how we tell stories first act second act third act blah 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 blah, we are really at that moment where it makes sense everything that has happened now there's no more i don't think there's any more additional exposition right. it's it's all kind of filling out the back half of all the stuff that was set up in the first half they always do set up to the next season in the way that if you go back and rewatch the wire like they have they have bunny colvin in season two like i didn't remember right. that until i rewatched it i'm like oh 
And then in season three, they talk about the schools and you're like, oh shit, they did a really good job of setting up. We should really say again, like the wire is one of the better analogs in terms of like structure for how this is structured. Yeah. And you really start to see it in this season, how expansive this story is. Um, Yeah. No, like, I think this is a good spot to end it. Um, Any final closing thoughts? No, uh, like I said, I just wanted to point out that I think that this episode specifically is is such the all all the guns are on the walls. You know, we we th- we yeah. show it in the first act, so we're gonna have to get to those. And I think they did a, a really great job. That even if you know the rules of that of storytelling, they they still give you such a rich tapestry of character moments and sort of subvert your expectations enough that when those moments do happen, they still are like holy shit moments. Yeah. And I can't wait um, to talk about that in the next episode. Do you have any final thoughts? I do. I just want to say, like, especially, I mean, the first half of this season is wonderful, I think, by and large. Like, the Karth stuff is a little bit weak. Daenerys, not so great. But uh, aside from that, like, table setting has never been this entertaining. Because that's pretty much all this entire first half is, especially episodes three through five, are just, like, gaining momentum with every moment. Like, things are happening. We've already knocked out one of the five kings from the game um shit's heating up and just so many great character interactions this is a really special season i I don't know where it ranks for me like during this rewatch it'll be interesting to see like how we finally rank these seasons if we're forced to but um it's up there man it's taking an already great first season and like just doing everything a little bit better Right. Uh, I would I would just say to kind of finalize it. I, you know, I've always referred to this as the chessboard season. It, it is a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of hey, yeah. we got to get here to get here, uh, which should not be as entertaining as it. You know, you know, it shouldn't yeah. be entertaining, but it really is. And that's just like such a fucking magic trick of the show. So again, we went through the first half, which is largely like all right, let's put everything on the table, yeah. and now we get to kind of reap the benefits of the back half, which I think is really good, but not without its problems either. We'll talk about right. that in the next episode. So um, I think that's it, man. So we'll be back yeah. next week. Okay. Adios. See ya.